0: Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best fully functional GPS when you're out of service. Offline maps allow you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative Bold Flavor Full Pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. SportDog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The SportDog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product SportDog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that sport dog collar in different temperatures, it just doesn't stop working. Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So, go to www.sportdog.com/meat eater to learn more. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt, the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. All right, everybody, in the annals of sexy animal podcasts. Of which we've done many. This one takes the cake. The well, We're going to be exploring the mysterious family of, uh, what is it, family?
1: Uh, yeah, order. The order, order of crocodilians. Order, crocodilia, yeah.
0: Meaning, we're going to focus on the American alligator and the American crocodile. Sure. With Chris Murray of Southeastern Louisiana University. Also does a lot of like, uh, you also do a lot of little TV
1: stuff. I did some stuff for Animal Planet a while back.
0: Yanni saw you gator wrestling.
1: Well, yep. It happens. Part of the job.
0: Dude, I got some gator questions for you, man. Let's do it. I'm going to stump you with some basics. Good. Studies. Check this out. His expertise. Now, you got so many things stacked in here that is it really uh, fair to say it's expertise?
1: Depends on what you're looking at.
0: Well, I'll tell you what I'm looking at.
1: Comparative
0: morphology.
1: Yep. Check. Check
0: physiological ecology check ecotoxicology check that's got to be like um um contaminants yep building up in animals yep so exactly. eco like why how if you eat too much tuna your hands go numb and you can't remember why you called your friend
1: exactly like that ecotoxicology but with alligators
0: oh so within alligators yep. they, they, crocodiles. Do, they 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 store that shit up
1: oh yeah and they're really good at letting us know what's out there in the ecosystem huh.
0: yeah I'll go on. Evolution, I'll buy that. Biogeography.
1: Mm, In part.
0: Philosophy of biology. Oh,
1: that's my jam. Hmm. Yeah, we could talk about that.
0: Herpetology, (laughs) I'll buy that. Originally from New York City, I have a hard time buying that. (laughs) And still a drummer in a band called the Clado Jams. I don't know.
1: Clado Jams, yep. I wish that uh, wasn't brought up, but I guess it was.
0: Corinne put it in the notes.
1: Yeah, I see that now. <laughs> but you don't
0: know because, as Yanni likes to point out, to every single person that walks in the door, you don't get to see the notes.
2: <laughs> Did, that <laughs> Did that help help make you feel more comfortable? I am so comfortable. Did I explained it? Exactly. That all of us would be looking at this document besides you, but then not to worry.
1: It's better that way.
0: Joined today also by Giannis Poutellis. Corinne, of course, is here. Wild Phil on the keyboards. And... Uh, <laughs> Call it a little thing you got down there, Phil. (laughs) Just a soundboard, soundboard. Yeah, I'll I'll take wild Phil though. And and Brody Henderson is here. Uh, this is a quick promotion, something I didn't even know about till right now. Our (laughs) guest still doesn't know about it because he can't see the notes. (laughs) Mark Kenyon's working for Wildlife Tour. Mark Kenyon, how uh, thanks for letting me know, buddy. Yanni wanted to go, he didn't know about it. Mark Kenyon says, Mark Kenyon, our very own Mark Kenyon from Wired to Hunt, I've put together something called the Working for Wildlife Tour, which is great. That's me editorializing. (laughs) Back to Mark. To help bring attention to public land volunteer days by way of participating in promoting and documenting six of these events across the country. So this is people, this is, uh, you don't need to be one, but I'm guessing a lot of hunters and anglers and maybe just other folk getting together to um do working for wildlife work on public lands okay the first event kicked off in massachusetts over the rest of the year they got them coming up in michigan idaho missouri mississippi and kentucky if you want to help out how are they going to find this link Crin. okay you know what like can you put it in the notes
3: yeah i'll put it i'll put the link in the show notes but you can also go to the mediator website and uh Let's see the you can, you can, com. Yeah, check you can, it out. You can search yeah, working for wildlife in this in a little search bar on the Yeah,
0: so if you're on Spotify, right, and you go um, you're looking at mediator podcast and you're thinking what you want to listen to and you see like, oh, that's a clever title. Um, if you keep reading beyond the clever title, you'll find the link to if you want to participate. Again, Massachusetts already been mopped up, but Michigan, Idaho, Missouri, Mississippi, and Kentucky. Public land users getting together to volunteer um, to do wildlife work on public lands. Also, still out, still coming. Our brand new title, Catch a Crayfish, Count the Stars, available for pre order now, ships in June. Again, it is an active. How many activities are in there, Brody? Over 100. No, I think it's probably, Under probably around 80. <laughs> <laughs> around 80. Total activities to get kids engaged with, involved in, educated about the outdoors, educated about hunting and fishing and wildlife, educated about gardening, preparing foods in a home, celestial navigation, making various weapons. Everything you need to raise a to, to, to raise a smart, engaged kid who I like to point out has kind of a raw edge to him. Catch crayfish, count stars. Uh we just found out about some hoser on Amazon selling <laughs> a fake, which I, I didn't know until this morning. It's very common, um, and I don't even think they go after him. I think they just shut them down.
4: Like where? Yeah, they, where I would love to I know. I would love to know do it.
5: I want to know if you get an actual book or if you just send money and just never see anything.
0: My wife said that one time there was a guy who had somehow printed off. And was selling my book, but it was a spiral-bound <laughs> copy of one of my books. He's just like making them in his kitchen. Yeah.
5: This guy's name is, uh, well, it's probably not his actual name, Robert G. Burgoyne.
0: Yeah, I'll kick his ass and um, run into him.
5: Yeah, don't buy that one.
0: Oh, you know what happened last night? Did I tell you, we got a 62-pound beaver over the weekend. <gasps> Holy moly. Oh, <sighs> yeah. So he had, this beaver had, I'm not kidding you, the, in the back of his skull, he had a mushroomed, a perfectly mushroomed 22 round mushroomed against the back of its skull. Shot him in mean, like all right the off. way mushroomed. Wow. That dude had to be like, got him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Didn't like just through the hide, laying like laying against the skull. Of, I said, I'm going to save it. It's like, well, I already did save it. Perfectly mushroomed lead 22 round. Baked against the back of its skull,
5: but was, was there any cracks in the skull or no. any saw
0: just oh, nothing? Yeah. yeah, nothing. Just an annoyance to that big beaver.
4: Yeah,
5: jeez,
0: you imagine that dude all day was like, <laughs> I swear I got him <laughs> right in the head. Uh, oh. So to get the book, go on Amazon wherever you buy books. You know, in the old days, you'd get in trouble for sending people to Amazon because other bookstores would get annoyed. Mm. So. Go wherever you buy books. Call your local friendly bookstore. If you have a local bookstore, that'd be a good idea. And tell me you want the book. It it releases in June. So we're going to talk a lot more about it and do some stuff. But, um, I've become intensely interested having three kids of my own. I've become intensely interested in making sure I expose them, um, to the outdoors and to issues about wildlife management. And then if they you know, if they grow up and become total city slickers, I'll at least know they got that floating around the back of their head. Uh, Carmen. Right? Should, we, should we talk to Carmen now?
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Man, we had on a, quite a few... What was that episode called, Corinne? Do you remember? When we had uh, Carmen Van Bianchi on?
3: Uh, it was called Split and Delivered, episode 413. God, clever title.
0: If you go back to uh, the... If you go back to the episode called Split and Delivered. Oh, Corinne, on the point of that beaver. Mm-hmm. With the. Yep. Um, you know what I say? If you, I keep, I heard about this and I was going to bring it to you is, have you heard of like that you um, just take those feet and give them to the, 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 those big ass back feet for mm-hmm. chew toys for dogs?
3: No, I had mm-hmm. no idea.
0: People do that. I have a lot of bone. Oh, but it's
3: though. like so much better to salt it, preserve it and make like a pendant out of it.
0: Yeah, I had something I was saving for you too I got another thing to give you I think I got it right here Hold on a minute.
3: So excited to see
2: what this is Steve's is digging around in his Yeti El Camino bag Where there's beaver hats, orange vests
3: Oh no, then tell me I'll what find it is it. Oh. Yeah, okay
2: I'll find it Um uh, Let's get a, let's get, get Carmen
3: down.
0: on. Oh, so if you go back to the episode, a um, few episodes back, I'll see an epico- episode called Split and Delivered, in which up top in that episode we spoke with frequent podcast guests. We kind of tracked her through her, um, emer- her career. I don't want to say her young career, but, yeah, like her, I don't know.
2: I think she's still in her young career. Yeah. It's pretty... You know, she's just getting going as a biologist. Yeah, it's
0: been fun. So we've had Carmen on, I don't know, four or five times as she's gone through, like, tech positions. And now she's very established with Home Range. Is it Home Range Wildlife? Mm Mm-hmm. She came on the show, and she has started um, with, with some colleagues of her. They started a nonprofit wildlife research organization. And they are working on a project where they're studying how lynx are using burned-off landscapes? So, so successional forests coming in after these mega wildfires that we have in the West now. How lynx use those landscapes? Are those landscapes helpful to lynx? Like, what, what? How do lynx interact with this new emerging um, ecosystem out there that's coming in, in the back end of fires? But one of the big things befuddling their efforts to get some lynx radio collared. Was having a bunch of snowmobiles that were like older than Carmen. Carmen came on the show and she had put together a way to help the, her nonprofit raise money for snowmobiles. And my God, did you guys um, really come forth in a huge way? Carmen's embarrassed to admit how much money they raised.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's get her on the line. Let's
0: get her on the line. We're just gonna do a quick, quick check-in because they've been they've been whacking the links. So, you know, I don't think you say that when you're radio calling. <laughs> Probably not a good way to put it. <laughs> All right, Karma. So you guys, since you, since you've been on, you and your colleagues at Home Range Wildlife have gotten three links. Yeah.
6: Whacking
0: we're pretty them, and stacking them. About that. Yeah.
6: Yep.
0: And you're trying to get, you're trying to get four. <laughs>
6: well. That would be amazing because we've got four collars, but we've already um, one was my goal. So to have three is just awesome. We're we're already now because we only have one collar left. We've got a couple more nights of our traps open that we'll we'll try for a miracle to get all four out. But um, otherwise, we'll be you know getting more collars for next year, and so everything now is just sort of a cherry on top.
0: What's the farthest? That one of those links has strayed from the capture site yet.
6: Ooh, I haven't measured that, but not very far.
0: They're hanging they tight. They
6: not going very far. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. I mean, totally anecdotal at this point, but... Um, and this, you know, my thinking may change down the road as we learn more, but... One thing people have feared is that because they're living in what's a regenerating burn, that they, in theory, might have really large home ranges because the habitat quality could be poor. So to see that they're not covering a whole lot of ground could be a good sign that the habitat's richer than people have uh, supposed.
0: Got it. And then uh, can you you give us a quick snowmobile update, like where you guys are at on snowmobiles?
6: Oh man, we're in a good spot. So we have, <laughs> since since we were on, uh, we got a, a nice 2021 uh, Polaris that has been doing really well. And then we also were able to purchase two brand new Skidoo Expeditions that have just been awesome. And uh, we've already put almost 2,000 miles on those brand new sleds. Oh, really? Wow. Um, <laughs> wow. Oh yeah. We're going at least fifty miles a day, sometimes a hundred. So
0: Damn, really? We do
6: a lot of riding. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Man, I wanna switch jobs, man. Um <laughs> then uh, you guys you guys got a new trailer for them too?
6: We got a new trailer, an enclosed trailer, which for where we live, that there are tons of marmots uh and mice and stuff that's going to be really nice for in the summer for storing them so we feel like we've protected our investment and yeah we're feeling pretty pimped out
0: that is great i appreciate the check-in i know that uh, man i had a lot of friends after you came out i had a lot of friends text me their little receipt things from having participated in the from having participated in the adopt a set thing and i know that i've been dealing with uh Ford, well, Corinne's been dealing with Ford over at First Light to get the winners set up with their cold weather gear of their cold cold weather collection of First Light gear. So I appreciate you coming back on and checking in with us. I'm glad you guys got the snowmobile problem taken care of and uh, hope you catch a fourth links.
6: Thanks. Well, we just appreciate so much. You and your listeners, the outpouring has been incredible. So I just want to thank everybody for your support. It's been super fun.
0: I got one request for our, you don't need to print it, but can you make us for our podcast studio a graphic that has all the lines running around when you eventually look at all the data?
6: Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. Like,
0: so a different color for each links and show how they're zooming around.
6: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'd like that. Um, Yeah. And then when one dies, you're going to go find out what happened to it, right?
6: Yep.
0: Yeah. I want the skull off that lynx. Is
6: that possible? I'll tell you
0: what. That's one of the skulls
6: that I don't have in my collection, so we oh. might have
0: to fight. Well, I'll have the second one. I'm not wishing I'm not like wishing ill upon your lynx. You know, I hope they have I hope they die of old age someday. Oh hey, I gotta tell you I <laughs> got nice. I gotta tell you a tip. And then then I'm gonna let you go. All right. We had that bobcat. Act, that Bobcat expert on Mercer lawing and I think that you later had yeah. some communication with Mercer about because he's, he's he mm-hmm. does a lot of cage he catches Bobcats for research and also the fur markets he, yeah, yeah. he the other day told me about how they were out doing the telemetry I think they still do that mm-hmm. oh yeah Telemetry yeah. on a Bobcat and they lost the signal and he thought mm-hmm. it must have went into a cave or something. So he started wailing on a predator call and all of a sudden got the signal back.
4: Huh.
0: <laughs> like he pulled it out. He like sure, drew it, yeah. he drew it out awesome. of its spot enough to pick the signal back up. All right.
6: Send mm, me that that's post. That's a good idea.
0: Yeah, you don't need to print it. We'll print it. But send me my poster and that skull. All
6: right. <laughs> Thanks, Steve.
0: Thank you very much. Come, you're welcome back on the show anytime. All right. Bye, Carmen.
6: See you guys. Thank you, everybody, so much.
0: Okay, uh, speaking of capturing and collar and stuff, this is a crazy story. So they just got the first ever Wolverine captured, collared, and released in Utah. So basically, like, um, I don't know how well Corinne did her math on this. She thinks it was basically while we were recording our Wolverine episode with with uh, Rebecca Waters. Waters? Walter? Waters. Waters. A Wolverine was seen in Utah. Okay. Only the eighth confirmed sighting in the state of Utah since 1979. The first one ever captured biologists in Utah. This thing had had a busy morning. He had killed how many sheep? I think
3: it was it 18.
0: This guy killed. This Wolverine comes in and kills 18 sheep in a morning.
5: What's the term for that? When a predator goes surplus kill. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah.
3: Wait, let me make sure I didn't make a mistake. Yeah, 18. Ooh,
2: what we'll to ask the croc guy if they do surplus killing. If gators do surplus killing? Yeah, crocs and gators.
0: Let's ask them right now. Right now. You know what surplus killing is? Killing more than you can eat, i a little. They get a little carried away. Get a little overboard. That. Yeah, they get in a pen full of llamas, like a mountain lion. It's He's always like, domestic. Hey, kill
1: them all. It's always yeah. domestic animals. Yeah, I don't really see that at all in alligators and crocodiles. I mean, they pretty much have a hard enough time eating what they actually eat are able to acquire shrimp and stuff. I mean, they eat a lot of those, but if they grab a hold of something pretty big, it takes them a long time to actually, you know, actually do anything with that meal, like a deer. So probably probably no surplus killing.
0: If he kills a deer and he stashes it and another deer shows up, he's not going to grab that one and stash it too.
1: Probably not. I mean, they'll typically like launch at a deer from the water's edge and they'll Stick it in the water, and then stick it under a log under the water until the meat gets a little bit, a little bit easier, mm-hmm. and then have a snack for a month or two. They
5: blow a lot of energy killing one large thing. Oh too, yeah, right? tons of energy. So they can't like yeah, recover and go kill it. another one. Recut, you know. Right.
0: Yeah. So this guy, so they go in there. They want to catch it. Put a collar on it. They go in and clean up all the dead sheep. Then they set two barrel traps with hind quarters and later catch the wolverine. Where, where, uh, where was this? Randolph, Utah?
2: Giannis used to live yes. in Utah. Where's that? Never heard of Randolph. In
3: Rich County.
2: Don't know where that is. Oh, they even they brought it out of the wild and into a uh, yep. lab of sorts and to do the study do the workup
0: three to four years old 28 pounds 41 inches tip of nose the tip of tail
5: 41's big because uh rebecca i remember saying, 41 inches 28 pounds
0: no he's he's right in line he's right in line he's cute after the um after that aired i had a lot of friends sending me like um pictures of wolverines that they are in the news, or that they found, or their buddy found, and then I'd be like, "What's up with that?" And he goes, "Well, that was eight years ago." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, okay. Cold, it's cold trail now." Randolph looks like it's about eighty-ish miles northeast of Salt Lake City.
3: Mm. Mm. Thanks, Phil.
0: So that's pretty cool and interesting. Okay, um, this is the absolute final word. Karen <laughs> thinks it's perhaps the final word. It's the final word.
3: <laughs>
4: okay,
0: <laughs> it's the final word on refried beans. <laughs> I grew up, someone wrote in. He says he's got a potentially controversial take on the whole subject. (laughs) He grew up in New Mexico, but spent a lot of time living in Chile. I'm thinking about switching. Switching what? Well, I went from Iran to Iran. Oh,
3: mm mm-hmm. It's Iran.
0: I'm thinking about going from Chile to Chile. Mm. Matter of fact. I think um, you already
3: made the transition.
0: Matter of fact, I I was doing one of my old books. I was doing a new audio because we got the audio rights back. One of my old books at at the 10 year mark and I had to do it and I did Chile. Sounded a little pretentious but Um, Spent some time living in Chile. Not being a native Spanish speaker I learned to speak fluently when living in South America. I believe this issue is more of a translation issue. Mm. The word in Mexican Spanish is frijoles refritos or in Chilean Spanish, perotos refrit- refritos. Am I doing semi good? Yeah. you
2: so. refritos. Yeah, yeah. He's
0: fluent. <laughs> <laughs> the, the issue <laughs> is really. the, the issue is the suffix re in English. This suffix means to fry again. It would be taken to be fry again, refried. But in mm. Spanish, this suffix can mean very fried. You can add this to any word in Spanish, such as beating a dead horse, like this topic. Which would be, go on, Yanni. Caballo esta remuerto. I don't know if this is true, but when I hear refried beans, I hear very fried beans. I don't know, I wish I wouldn't even read that. (laughs) I don't buy it. You don't? Not really, man. I, I
2: think it makes sense.
0: Berry fried beans? It might. <laughs> no, I'm glad I read it. <laughs> Guy's in Texas now. Uh, God, I wanted to talk about this for like an hour.
2: Come Can- on, let's just jump in and get it over with. You want to do Okay. Yeah, it's an old story now. It's getting old.
0: Kansas bans trail cams on public land. I own trail cams. I like trail cams. I, as we speak, have a trail cam on public land, in a place that I'm going to visit. I put it, and I'm going to go on the one-year mark and retrieve it. Last time I did this, I had forgot to turn it on. All winter, <laughs> all winter, I drove my wife nuts talking about going up and getting my camera. I got it in the coolest spot. I'm like, man, I can't wait to go and get my camera. It's going to be amazing. All the shit's on my camera. And I go up there, I'm like, "Da!" <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't oh. turned it on. <laughs> Batteries are still good.
5: <laughs> now, wait a minute. In Montana, can you have them out on public land? They can't during- transmit a signal. Oh, I thought you couldn't have them out on public land during big games. No, season. I think
0: they can't. Tra- if that's the case, I'm in violation. I could be
5: you might making wanna... that up in my head, but I think I that thought might you can't, be I thought you
0: can't have anything that transmits a signal. I, you're talking to the wrong person. So you huh? might need to cut this out, and I might need to go take my camera down. Yeah, sounds like it. For a while, there was no trail cam use. Then it became no trail cams that transmit a signal.
5: I thought there was a during-big-game season component to it. I could be wrong.
2: Yeah, but it seems to change every year. I'm going to look look right now.
0: You can't use one that transmits a signal in any capacity toward using it to to, cat in the process of taking game. Well, if that's the case, I'm going to call Adam Pankratz and (laughs) turn myself in.
3: I was just thinking about calling
4: him.
0: Um, Back to Kansas. I don't think that's true. Is it true? Well, we should find out. Yeah, Jesus, it's not even a place I would hunt. I'm trying. Chris, to get... Do you guys ever use them for gators?
1: Yeah, we do actually, especially around alligator nests and stuff like that. Yeah, but mm. I have no idea regarding the legalities of that. Where we do. well, I'm either. sure for
0: research
5: purposes, it's you probably got to worry about it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Here's the, the semi headline. Or not? Not I mean, like the one liner. The one liner is this: with a unanimous vote by its game commission, Kansas becomes the first midwestern whitetail state to impose a year-round, damn trail camera ban.
2: So, what was Arizona's? Was only partial, only during hunting. I think so.
0: Well, Arizona's and Utah's was public private. This they did it for private land too. Oh, I called a friend of mine. No, I don't want to say his name. Cause I didn't ask him if I could say his name. I called a friend of mine who like, he does a lot of scouting for outfitters and he finds a lot of animals, you know? And I said, I said, man, what's your take on it? He goes, I love it. I go, you like the trail cam band? Love it. He said, I'm a dinosaur. I've been in this business a long time. I've been in this game a long time. And glassing, looking for tracks, looking for sheds. That's where I excel because it goes, that's how I was brought up. I learned my, I learned my abilities being in the woods.
5: Yeah. I fall on that. And side he goes, too. and I got into
0: it. Like I got into it, but for me, I think it's great. And he said too, he's talking about places like the the Arizona strip. He thinks you're going to have, it's going imp- to, this is him speaking and like him guessing you're going to have an improvement in age class box because he, he thinks it's going to go back to being mm. there's bucks people don't know yeah. about.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Because He said in the in these areas, like where he's at, he said it, it's different. He goes, Where you're at, there's a lot of water. He's talking about Montana, there's mm-hmm. a lot of water. Here, water is the thing. Okay. All big game goes to water and there's a finite place for them to find water. So when you get into late summer, Okay, or whatever the dry dry season probably yeah. not late summer, but, but pre monsoon. When, when you go out, you're like any deer is going to go here, here, or here. Yeah, and everybody knows. And you lace about it those with spots. cameras, and and everybody knows about every deer. So he's He's optimistic that it's going to be that there's more deer slipping through the cracks, and it's going back to being like that the woodsman find the deer. And I it's love not it. A, and it's not a tech game. I love it. He he knew a guy. He knew a guy that was running over 100 cameras.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, and that's common. I don't. I don't think that 100 cameras is is out of the ordinary. He
0: had anymore. two guys. Uh, they he talked about an outfitter that had two guys on payroll that only ran cameras. Hmm. And searching for searching for stuff for clients.
5: Yeah, I like the mystery of it all.
0: So Kansas on public land, there is like this is the thing I become aware of in places. It just kind of depends. We were in a place in Florida where it was like. It was like being at a 7-Eleven for the amount of cameras aimed at you.
5: On public land. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: I could see it becoming, um, people that don't want to be surveilled and photographed and you have a sort of like expectation of privacy, but in these areas where like all the roads, all the trails are done, it, like I could see that it would get on people's nerves. Oh, yeah. Um, and like I said, man, I like, like, if if it became that you couldn't, I wouldn't, right? If you couldn't, I wouldn't, but I, uh, I dig, I, it's fun using them, but I'm empathetic of the situation and the fact that all unanimous vote.
2: No, it'll generate some hate mail because I think people will say, well, you guys get to hunt wherever you want to hunt. And you're always hunting some fancy private ranch and you don't need to scout. And I'm a working man and I need these cameras to scout. But it's we hunt a lot of public land. And that hunt, by having all those cameras that we had to walk by every single day, multiple times, it changed the experience.
0: Yeah, then people are like sending you messages telling you Finding you and on social, like Yanni had people sending him messages on social, being like, "I know
2: where you're at." That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, is this you guys? Which th- that that part, like, I don't mind the person reaching out. I, I try to answer to all the DMs on I- Instagram. That part's fine, but the experience of being out there hunting, like, I, I like to go into the woods to be alone and be quiet and not have things. Big that brother, don't, don't belong big, in the woods. They're watching you. Know? you? I think another
5: concern people have about these kind of laws, too, is that they're coming from these uh, commissions that are appointed members, Mm. and perhaps some of their, like, there might be a non-hunting angle coming from some of those commissioners. Like, I've heard that in places, too. Like, the more you can restrict use, the more you're restricting hunters, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: So, 3% of Kansas is public. Okay. Okay. Here's the interesting thing. Here's what one of the commissioners had to say. He said, so this is where he's going on. He's not going on a, he's not, this commissioner is not speaking of the issue on a fair chase, fair take, okay? Like unfair advantage. That's not where he's going with it. Commissioner Gerald Lauber said that trail cameras cause privacy issues and give rise to conflict when used on heavily trafficked public land in Kansas. He didn't say that. Here's what he says. Quote, There are some deleterious issues when it comes to trail cameras. In some places, cameras are used to spy on other hunters. And some people recoil from seeing a camera. They're private. They don't want to have somebody take their picture and then have it on Facebook, which absolutely happens. Lauber went on to say that trail cameras are sometimes used by hunters as a means of staking claim to a particular section of public Land. Uh, Bubbly Doug's got all kinds of thoughts about the whole thing. I can't. I, I'll have to get back. To it. It's so much I have to, I have to dig into it. Say about it. You can get mad at me all like, you want. I'm not on the K- Kansas Game Commission. Sure. I was reporting the facts, dude. It's the thing I see. I see both sides. I see both sides to it as a camera owner i like cameras i have a subscription um i like to putting them on beaver dams to see what all goes over the beaver dam i like everything about them if there was a thing where you couldn't use them i just i, I don't know i'd be like yeah yeah i understand it's not something you know what it is it's not something i, I it's not something i would take up, the, it's not something I would take up the fight about because you can imagine like, it's easy to imagine the extreme where the extreme being you can't walk down a trail without being photographed.
5: Yeah. Which
0: is probably the case in many places. These you can't days. go down a path without being photographed. The guy I was talking about I wish I could, I, I should have checked with him to talk about him. He said, now every camera you find in Arizona has got a bullet hole through it. <laughs> now they're illegal people to shoot them. He said there's still ones just got abandoned out in the woods, but they all been shot by pistols. Yep. Wow. (laughs) Think about that, you know.
2: Hardcore. Spring is a great
0: time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside. Planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids... We got serious about life insurance, and man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money. And provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited. Photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame, wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save terms and conditions apply rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing right and you probably got rain gear but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear columbia pfg solar stream elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day man i was just in hawaii and i had my columbia pfg solar stream elite hoodie with me and here's the deal we're in and out of the water all the time getting in to go spear fishing, getting out taking the kids to the beach i'm not gonna mess around all day putting sunscreen on, then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Okay, we're ready to dig in on gators. Dude, I got some questions about gators, but first I want to tell you something. Uh... Did you hear about this? That a Texas zoo rescues an alligator that was stolen as an egg 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, I did hear something about this on social media. I don't know the full story, though.
0: A Texas zoo, this was reported in The Guardian. I'm a little lukewarm on The Guardian. Sometimes I like it. A Texas zoo said it had taken back an eight-foot alligator, which was stolen as an egg more than 20 years ago, then kept as a backyard pet.
3: I mean, this, well, is, from, get, uh, this like, is from Texas Park and Wildlife. So a woman that's...
0: confessed to t- taking an egg from Animal World and Snake Farm <laughs> Zoo near Austin. It's just a gnawing on her for 20 Had years. Had it for 20. <laughs> that is heartbreaking. <laughs> she was a volunteer at Animal Farm way back then, 20 years ago. Apparently stole the alligator as an egg. She put it in her pocket. That's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking.
1: Huh. It's actually kind of hard to do. I can imagine. If you have an alligator egg, it can't roll one way or another or the embryo will die. Is that right? So she had to know what she was doing. Huh. She did put it in To steal an alligator egg and incubate it long enough for it to hatch successfully. That's pretty hard to do.
3: Maybe, 20 Maybe years. she learned that at the zoo. She
5: put Dude, her train to use.
1: You could make a team. Disney movie so. about this lady.
5: It's 20 years of... Uh, And they took it back. Is it a mature gator at that point? Oh yeah.
1: Eight-foot alligator is mature. And I could see an eight-foot alligator being 20 years old, especially in captivity.
0: Talk about being able to see two sides of a story. I could see them wanting their alligator back for 20 years. Uh, It's like losing a leg.
3: She faces (laughs) misdemeanor charges for illegal possession of an egg. And possession of an alligator without a permit.
0: I mean, I get it. I get it. But, but.
3: Misdemeanor, though.
0: I get it. I don't know. What do you think about that film? <laughs> <laughs> uh, she shouldn't have done it? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I know. But p- okay. Picture it. You shouldn't have done it. Okay. Shouldn't have done it. Everybody knows that. Sure. Does any little part in the back of your head be like, Oh, it's like losing a leg.
5: Well,
3: do Maybe you Maybe she
0: hated that alligator. I don't know. Looks like
5: she took pretty good care of it. 20 years she's had that pet. A lot of, lot of chickens and uh, rats, I imagine, huh?
0: And if she stole it as an egg, so it's like.
3: What, you think like it bonded to her?
0: <laughs> I'll take that to our guest. The alligator bonded. Or...
1: I have seen alligators imprint? that are pretty well trained. So I would imagine what? that she would have a pretty strong emotional attachment to that animal. I'm not sure about the opposite.
0: So he's not crying. He's not crying crocodile tears. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but I'm. <laughs> would, would he be when he goes back to the zoo? Is he going to be completely thrown off and out
5: of his element now or?
1: Gosh, I think that's tough with all crocodilians. I mean, I think they're they're really good at just sort of surviving in whatever enclosure they're in until they're no longer surviving. You know, like, it'll be fine, I would imagine. But what about her? That's a different story. Can you see if she'll come on. more concerned about this Can word? you see? He, like,
4: hate New
3: Jersey cat ladies, ladies, but he loves Texas, Texas gator, gator ladies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Listen,
0: if you said you could spend a weekend with a New Jersey cat lady or a Texas gator lady, what are you going to say?
3: Okay, yeah. Yeah. when you put it that way.
0: Now, I know you don't like doing this very much, Krim, but can you please get her on the show for a call-in? Just a call-in.
3: <laughs> okay. It's not that I don't like doing it, though. Tell her I, I said pre- that I know it was bad,
0: and what she did. We mm-hmm. all know what she did was bad, <laughs> but we just want to hear about how tore up she is.
3: Okay. All right.
0: And, like, what she fed it.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Um, I want to go back to the beginning on gators and crocs in America. But first I want to, I got to clear something up, which I can't stop thinking about and talking about. I had occasion. Yanni and I drew... Um, some pretty sweet wildlife management area turkey tags in Florida this year. But I was down a few days early and I did a little tour on some public land right up against Everglades or up against the national park. Okay. Okay. So I went out with a guy that has one of them big buggies. You know, the ground was dry, but we took a swamp buggy, but you could have driven in a golf cart. Yeah. Golf cart. We did with a little swamp buggy tour just for gets and shiggles, okay? And um, in Big Cypress.
1: Cool. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Dry as a bone. Okay. There was a canal that had water. But prior to it becoming, um, prior to becoming like Big Cypress, it had been at various times grazed by cattle. And people had had little homesteads out there. So some of the areas out in Big Cypress, you'll run into groves. Okay, like, there'll be, like, fruit trees planted. Um, you'll see, like, rusted old chunks of fence, you know, hog fences. Like, people would just kind of live and yeah, probably squatters. Did you try that? eating any sure. of those, any of that fruit that you saw hanging? We didn't find anything that was, any fruit that was it, fruiting. Oh. Except hmm. for sour oranges, which aren't that bad. Like, a, like a, some, some native, but see, that wasn't even, like, native citrus, but it was in this area, so maybe someone would had just cultivated it there. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, I found... Grapefruit and those oranges, and it were kind of bit. bit, They might have been past due, Mm -hmm. but yeah, they were kind of just. I don't want to say not mealy, but grainy. Just a lot of. That's what I had was like that. Yeah,
0: I mean, you could eat it, but it wasn't as you know. You've just been trained up on yeah on our sweet oranges. So, at a time, someone had developed water holes for cattle. Okay. And you, and so when you're cruising around, everything's like dry as a bone, it gets wet sometimes, but not right now it's dry as a bone and you'll see these dirt tanks. And you could even see like where years ago, someone had mounded all the dirt up. So there'd be like a berm or an impoundment in a, in some water holes that I'm not shitting you are not that much bigger than this podcast studio. Okay.
1: But there's some eight foot alligator laying there. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. the hell is he eating? Like, what is he doing? Probably just hanging out in water until there's a lot more of it. I mean, alligators, there's a lot of research on alligators being really good ecosystem engineers. So when the water goes away, they will dig out a hole like that themselves that allow a lot of water to be there for other wildlife to come and utilize. So, really? So they can do that themselves and do every year.
0: But how long can he wait? Before, like, presumably he's sitting there thinking someday someone's going to come get a drink.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: And I'm going to smack it.
1: Yep. And it happens all the time.
0: But how long can it not happen before he's got a split?
1: Yeah, well, I don't think there's anywhere else to go, you know, for them. But I'll give you an example. So in Costa Rica, American crocodiles will estivate during the dry season and bury themselves under the mud for do like Do you know three that word, months. Steve?
2: Estivate. No, but.
1: Estivate's like, uh, try to avoid dying from lack of water Kay. or heat, right? So like sometimes they'll go into the woods. We don't actually know what they do in the woods. Sometimes they'll go in like these little limestone cave things. And sometimes they'll just let the mud harden over top of them. And you can be walking around. They'll be under your feet. You can't see them. But they'll stay there for a couple months before the wet season returns in, like, early to mid-May.
0: Not even a chance to eat.
1: Not a chance to eat. Just hanging out, waiting. So that alligator probably has a pretty good shot at being successful for however long it has to be there.
0: The guy I was with told me that he's got, I can't remember what he called them, caves or dens.
1: What was he calling them? Probably wallows.
0: Like holes he's he's dug out.
1: The alligator holes. Yeah. I mean, they'll do that themselves. Talk about what that is. Alligator holes, really, you only see that down in South Florida, uh, where there's times of the year where there's lack of water. And there's been a lot of research on the utility of alligator holes. Uh, But they'll essentially dig out a hole that is, yeah, no bigger than this room we're in right now. And allow themselves to hang out there in water for months. And other animals need to utilize those holes as well. So, so that's what he's talking service. about.
0: Well, he's. I thought he's talking about like a like a little deep cave area he dug uh, out. Oh, that's or a wallow. Okay, well, that's the a wallow.
1: alligators will dig wallows like in the sides of those holes. That's what he's talking about. Yep. Yeah, and they'll just go hang out in there underground um, for a long time. Like How, a lot are, they, of times, how are they digging? Mm, they they use it all. They'll use their head. They'll use their front limbs, and just make a big hole. In fact, I don't think we have a lot of footage on them making those alligator wallows, which would be really cool footage to get. But I guess not in Kansas, because there's no cameras allowed. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> well, the private land gators. There you those go. are the yeah. spoiled gators. They got it made. <clears throat>
1: but like every time you see an alligator nest, you'll see the nest up top, and then on the edge nearest the water, you'll see a hole. And mom usually is sitting in that hole or outside of that hole by her nest, if she's a good mom.
0: Got it. I want to go back to the beginning on Gators. We should go back to the beginning on you, too. How, um, you grew up in New York?
1: Grew up in New York, New Rochelle, New York. Turned nine there, I think. Spent a year in England. My dad was a high school art teacher. Moved back to New York, moved to Connecticut to play high school baseball. That didn't pan out very well. I'm a biologist, not a baseball player now. So,
0: but you wanted to be a full time baseball player?
1: Wanted to be a baseball player. I'm just, not good at baseball's the problem.
0: Yeah, I could get in the way. Yeah.
1: It's a, it's a hardship I couldn't overcome.
0: Um how'd you get interested in if like living there where they don't have them, how'd you get interested in them?
1: Uh Steve Irwin. Watching Steve Irwin on Animal Planet <laughs> when I was a kid with my neighbor, we would uh I just got hooked. We'd watch it every week. And uh we actually we actually bought one of those VHS recorders from a tag sale, and I would pretend to be Steve Irwin in the backyard with toads and snakes and oh, really? stuff like that yeah and I mean, then went holding down it,
0: holding it up I never, I never said, watched him wow look at this was he, is, he the guy that got, is he the guy that had that tragic death where he got hit by a stingray right yeah, through the heart
1: that, that yeah. is true jeez but yeah we would uh, make little home videos and then he actually did a senior project when he was a senior in high school who did my buddy oh okay my neighbor Steve Irwin No, I don't know. I don't know if he did. Uh, Where we went down to South Florida and went to a a wildlife refuge and alligator farm. Mm -hmm. And we made a video there for his senior project. And uh, that got me in touch with sort of the more hands-on aspect of working with these animals. And I said to myself, I want to work here. And then having worked there for a while, I learned that this could be a real job for me. So I went to college and before that and like when you were a kid did,
5: did you have like an affinity for going out and catching like garter snakes and
6: frogs and yeah stuff in like?
1: connecticut i mean i would catch everything i get my hands yeah. on me and my neighbor frogs and milk snakes and hognose snakes and a, everything i think it's just something that is in people you gotta go catch stuff it's called well,
0: wor- it's called worrying wildlife
1: yeah i mean <laughs> kids used to do it all the time
5: now their parents don't let them now they do it on an iPad.
0: Mm-hmm. They worry wildlife on an iPad. My kid does. He likes to sound them stupid hunting video games. Oh, it drives me crazy. <laughs> um, and then you studied what? What did you study?
1: General biology in undergrad. Uh-huh. Then went on for a master's degree at Southeastern Louisiana University, where I am now. And I focused on, my advisor was an evolutionary biologist, mm-hmm. but I did not focus on evolutionary biology at all. I focused on the effects of stress on the reproductive output of American alligators in Louisiana and Texas. And I was there at a convenient time because the oil spill hmm. uh, occurred. And so I was able to look at how the oil spill affected the stress of alligators as
0: well. How, how the actual oil or how the activity around the cleanup, what, what were you looking at?
1: Well, that's a tough thing to separate. So there was this like dispersant stuff that was put out because in ecotoxicology, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind kind of thing. Um, So it was sort of a combination of just looking at the entire scenario, either oil in the marsh I was working in, Mm -hmm. um, in Southeast Louisiana, or the dispersant stuff that was used. Turns out large alligators just leave and small alligators stay and get really stressed out. Mm -hmm.
0: So the dispersant was meant to, to, to make it, the alligators wanted to split?
1: Uh, it's hard to tell if it was the oil or the dispersant. Like, I was... well, what,
0: what, like, what do you, what is dispersant?
1: Yeah, so it's this, uh, it's this chemical they put out in oil spills. Uh, and oh, I don't know much okay. about it, but I understand it, it now. prevents no, no. the oil from like getting together with other oil molecules. I understand. So now. You I thought you meant it.
0: they were putting something out to try to drive
1: to disperse, animals. Oh, no, to no, try no.
0: to get gators to move no. away from the oil spill. i no, it's
1: an oil spill cleanup tactic, I believe. I got you.
0: So the impacts of that. And the little ones that stay get stressed out. Was it impactful on them?
1: Yeah, they get pretty stressed out. It turns out, which was obviously expected. Yeah, but larger ones just leave. And the results
5: of getting stressed out, or what, like loss of weight, slower growth, like
1: yeah, that's an interesting question. I think that the results of getting stressed out are, you know, a lot of physiological things. Um, you know, you can't allocate a lot of energy to your immune system when you're stressed out, uh, so you're more susceptible to the environmental. Problems that are already in your face that alligators can pretty well handle when they're not stressed out. When you,
0: I would say that most Americans do not know that there's a crocodile in America
1: mm-hmm. American crocodile, South Florida. How many of them?
0: Like, I mean, did they used to be pretty thick? Did they used to be that they were eating people and stuff all the time, like African crocodiles in, in the Nile or whatever?
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't really think that they ever became a human crocodile conflict issue in South Florida. I mean, I think they are now because there's just so many people in such little space. Mm. But there's a great book that recently came out, maybe five or six years ago, that talks about the Spanish when they settled South Florida.
0: Yeah, they would talk about it. And I...
1: talking about just how many alligators there were. And specifically, there's mention like on the what would it be, southwest side of Florida towards like Sanibel Island, Mm -hmm. how many American crocodiles there were.
0: Lay out the difference between an alligator and a crocodile.
1: So, okay, are you ready for this? This is a question that that people ask a lot, and it's not easy for a crocodile biologist to answer. Because
0: you guys like to obfuscate everything.
1: Yeah, we're terrible. (laughs) But the issue is that there's like 16 species of crocodile. Globally. Globally. And there's eight species of alligatorid, including uh caiman. So to say what's the difference between an alligator and a crocodile, it's a difficult situation. It's a difficult thing to answer because the there's so much up. variation. Let's do it.
0: Let's stick to the American alligator and the American crocodile. Okay. And let's stick to from a, lay, from a layman observer's perspective. Gotcha. Let's do like, it. Like meaning you're hanging out on vacation in Florida... And you see a crocodile alligator-esque creature. And you say to yourself, I wonder if that's a gator or a croc. Sure. What are you looking at?
1: I'm looking at a couple things. The shape of the snout is sort of the obvious answer. Alligators have a more rounded snout. And the American croc is going to have a more narrow, longer pointed snout. But I'm also looking at other things like where is it? Is it in an estuarine environment? If so, I'm leaning towards an American crocodile. Is it in the Everglades or Big Cypress National Preserve or somewhere more uh, where there is no salt intrusion? That'll lead towards an American alligator in that scenario. But they're pretty easy to tell just by just by looking at them.
0: So could they like could the American crocodile just head out into open salt
1: water? Yes. There's one of two species of crocodile, the saltwater crocodile, hence the name. And the American croc that readily enter marine environments and disperse from islands to other places throughout the ocean.
0: So it's feasible that you could be out in the ocean, 10 miles offshore or something, and here comes a crocodile swimming by.
1: In Costa Rica, that happens all the time to surfers and other people out there, especially on the Pacific coast. Just see them. Yeah, they're just out there. Look like logs on the top of the water. Then they go under... (laughs) And then you you get off your board. Are they hunting?
2: (laughs) What are they doing out there?
1: I I think for, yeah, I mean, they're they're eating out there. You know, I think a lot of people like to think of crocodilians in general as eating large animals, Mm -hmm. right? Sure. But I think, you know, what we know from a lot of really good research in South Louisiana and Southeast Texas is that alligators eat a lot of blue crab. And we know that American crocs are eating a ton of shrimp when they can really so yeah so i think like like how in the hell are they doing that they just go out and open their mouths and swim and shrimp goes near them in fact i saw a video i saw a video last night on social media of a crocodile using its tail to flick shrimp up in the air and they were landing in his mouth it was awesome i'll try to find that <laughs> video for you wow
2: now,
5: is the uh, the crocs like in costa rica the ones that get Mm -hmm. Real big, same exact species as the one in South Florida. Yes. How come the ones in South Florida don't get big?
1: They get pretty big, do they? Oh yeah. Will they They get get bigger than a gator? 14. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. South Florida is a is a tricky scenario in terms of American crocs because there's so much, there's so there's so little habitat and so much attention paid because they're the only American croc, as you say, in the continental U.S. or in the U.S. in general. So the numbers are pretty low, so they're sort of of high conservation concern, Mm -hmm. and there's really been a a really good effort to monitor populations, in particular successful nesting events, sort of in collaboration with land use down there. A lot of folks at like University of Florida have spent a long time studying those populations. Like
0: how many are there? How many were there and how many are there?
1: It's hard to say how many there were. I'm going to make an educated guess and say more, but I would say right now, I think a colleague might correct me, but I would say a thousand American Crocs in South Florida would be a generally good ballpark. And they can, including hatcheries. And they
0: can at times be intermixed with alligators.
1: Yeah, especially way down in South Florida. Like if you go down to like Nine Mile Pond, Flamingo, way down there in Neverglades National Park, you'll be in water bodies where you can see them both.
0: And they can be 14 feet. Crocs, yeah. I mean, eating alligators shrimp. too. But
1: they're eating shrimp. Eating crabs. I like to think of them eating wild eating hogs. Eating fish. <laughs> I know, that's the cool stuff. That's the, the, bugs, the gators. Oh, yeah,
0: man. Like doing crazy stuff.
1: I mean, really, whatever swims near their mouth, they're going to try to eat.
0: You know, when I was down there, I was with Clay, my my colleague, Clay Newcomb, and he was saying, man, if you came to me and said, um, you have to go get attacked by a bear. He said it'd actually be hard to get attacked by a bear. There's actually a movie about this where a guy got mauled by a grizzly. Then he built a grizzly proof suit. He couldn't get mauled again. He tried his ass off to get mauled again in his grizzly proof suit, but could never get mauled again. So Clay's like, "You couldn't if you said to go get mauled, you probably are going to fail." But he said, "I feel like and he doesn't know the first, you know, he doesn't live in Gator country." He said,
5: "You don't live fe- far from Gator."
0: No, country. but he said, "I feel like if you told me I had to get mauled by a gator, I'd be able to figure it out."
1: Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's a lot easier. So because.
0: Yeah, we because we don't we don't know because we're not familiar with them. But we thought like, how would you not go to that little pond where you know that some bitch is in there and, just and jump stick in. your foot in there and wiggle it around? Yeah. How's he not going to want to bite it?
1: Well, he might be afraid. You know, I think the easiest thing to do is to make yourself look like you're the size of a manageable prey item. That's what happens when you see all these media reports of stuff getting eaten, is that they're usually in the water part way or the size of a small dog. Or something like that. So I would go to the pond and I would kneel at the water's edge, up this to is my you're trying up to get my bad. waist. Kneel down, look small at night. Then you'd have a good chance,
0: and you could pull it off.
1: Have <laughs> you ever
5: been? Have you ever been part of like an investigation of an attack at all? Done any work
1: um, on that stuff? Without going into too much detail, yes. But you can't.
0: Well, say if about you do it. go, let's say, okay, <laughs> let's do the version where you do go into
1: detail. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, there's been I'll, situations. I'll, can, I, can I kick things off?
0: Please. My teacher, this, I'm, I'm not joking, man. I don't know if she's still alive or not. I, I, don't, I don't want to say her name. I can tell you that she lived on the Muskegon River. <laughs> I don't want to say her name. She might, I'll have to look and see if she's passed away or not. My fifth grade teacher was in the Peace Corps in Africa. And I think she got reprimanded for this. She brought us photographs into school and showed in school photographs of the remains of her boyfriend who was recovered from the belly of a crocodile in Africa.
3: Oh God, no! Ugh.
0: Whoa! Ugh. Mm-hmm. yikes! So you now you go.
1: Now I go. Now you uh, tell okay. us
0: what you're talking oh, about.
1: God. Well, uh, I just
0: spilled the beans. You know, I
1: I think when there's human crocodile conflict in the population that involves a population of animals that a particular researcher works in they like to get as much information as they can on who or which animal they think was responsible for the attacks understood and i have been inquired about who is involved the problem is it's an impossible thing to answer
0: Oh, someone wanna know which of the gators that you might be looking at and what could they tell about its behaviors and whatnot. Yeah, do
1: I have any ideas on if which alligator may have done this bad thing? Yeah, it's like when they try
5: to go after the rogue shark or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. And I find that a little bit ridiculous. I mean, if it's in a scenario where there's an alligator in a communal pond in Florida and that's where somebody went missing, well it was that alligator. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> You're like, I got it. There it it's is. that one. That's an easy
1: one. But if it's somebody swimming off the coast of Florida and somebody goes missing, then how are you supposed to know which animal is responsible, right? Usually the, the management tactic is to go out and see if there's a size animal that could have been responsible. Um, but in most scenarios, like way out in the wild, it's, that's an impossible thing to, to know,
0: Every year, man. I want to get back to the history stuff, and now we're on this subject. I want to go with it, and I and I, and I know that this, this, you're a good person to ask this because you're not going to want to sensationalize stuff because you're you're um, you dealing in facts, and you you know I gather you like the animals.
1: I do very much,
0: so you don't want to sensationalize this. But I'll <laughs> say this: in the okay, in the lower 48, every year grizzly bears kill. Zero, one, two, or three people. There's never more than two or three. Sometimes there's none. Usually there's one. Okay. Where are we at with alligators? Alligators and crocodiles in America. Like about the same, right?
1: Yeah. I, gosh, I don't know in recent years of reported crocodile attack. Okay. So, the so that's not 48. even a thing. I mean, maybe one every five years Got it. as an educated guess. So it's
0: like not... I would declare that not a thing. Not a thing. I yep. would also agree. Yeah.
1: Alligators, I think... I mean, I would say annually we hear about some news story where there was an alligator attack, right? But we don't hear about it 50 times a year. Mm. We hear about it one, two, or three. Hopefully. So it
0: remains almost in the category of not a thing.
1: I, Yeah, I think so.
0: When you're in alligator country, are there... Are there things that you just don't do?
1: Make yourself the size of a prey item at the water's edge.
0: <laughs> and that becomes like a widely known thing.
1: Mm, no. Otherwise, it wouldn't happen. I mean, I think that... You know, like,
0: <clears throat> Let's let, let, say we are at these ponds, okay? And I had my kids with me, which could totally happen. And when my kids get near a pond, what do they want to do? They want to go throw shit into the pond. Yeah. Okay? So they're down... Throwing Including shit. themselves. Yeah, they're down, throwing shit in the pond, falling into the pond... Um, would you, are you hysterical to be like, don't do that? Or is that reasonable to be like that?
1: I would say you can throw stuff in the pond because that's the urge that everyone has, but don't go down to the water if you're a kid. Hmm. I mean, just don't. Why risk it?
0: And you're not, you don't rate yourself a paranoid person.
1: No, I don't, I wouldn't say.
0: Why are, (laughs) um, so getting bit by, getting killed by an alligator resides somewhere in like the not a thing thing, Mm. but they're hell on dogs. Or is that, is that like a thing that's, is that overblown? No, I,
1: I mean, they are hell on dogs. I think that most of the time, like there was a couple videos recently where the dog got attacked and the owner went to save the dog. And I think that leads to a lot of this stuff. Um, when they're walking their dog near a pond, those dogs have the same inclination to go to the water's edge. Mm-hmm. And then alligator says, Ooh, a prey size organism. I'm going to eat that. And the owner says, no, you're not. And then that leads to an issue between the alligator and the owner.
0: Cause he's in there trying to do good. Cause out. they're
1: trying to save their dog, which I get as well. So my suggestion is don't walk your dogs near the water's edge. If you know that there's an alligator in that pond, or even if you don't, if you're, if you're not sure, don't do it.
0: Name for me all the junk you've heard of them eating, because it's a crazy list, right? Okay,
1: yeah. So we've we opened up thirteen big harvested alligator stomachs um, from a kind of a unique habitat, a reservoir in in, um, in Alabama uh, on the Chattahoochee River, and we found how, how big the alligators? Yeah, 13, 14 feet. Damn big. And they stunk, man. Uh, but we found... Just, h-
0: they stunk, just the animal stunk.
1: No, when you open that gut. I mean, stuff's been in there a while, rotten. Mm. It's the worst smell I've ever smelled. And I can smell it to this day if I try hard enough. It was you on got de- It's our called our deja vu, <laughs> what you're experiencing. <laughs> yeah.
0: We cover that. Yeah. I We're mean, like I, the leading source on deja <laughs> vu. This, this podcast is a leading source of information on deja vu. Yeah, I
1: mean, uh, we, we found so much stuff in those guts. Particularly, we found fish scales from stuff like alligator gar, Long-nosed gar, spotted gar. We found an entire uh, hog parts all in there. Turtle scoots from alligator snappers, which is a hard thing to eat. Really? Snake vertebrae. (laughs) What's a a scoot? (laughs) Like the keratinized plates on top of the Uh. shell. Uh, And then the coolest thing we found was a fawn that looked like it was asleep in the gut. It was about oh, know, man. that big, and it was just sitting Like a curled-up dog?
0: Like it was asleep. Like he was going to get around just digesting it at some point. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Eventually, that thing was going to pass through, but uh, not that day. Jeez.
0: How long had it been in there?
1: Oh, I don't know. It was it was incredibly intact, so I would say not long. But he also found a lot of man-made stuff in there, a lot of shell casings in there and bullets. I don't know if shiny stuff. Uh, yeah, a lot of shiny stuff, and I, I still don't know if the alligator had eaten things that had been shot, oh. or if people were shooting at the alligator mm. and it didn't die. Are the bullets
2: deformed, or are the bullets in their original state, like pre-firing?
1: O- original state, not mushroomed like on the on the beaver skull or anything. Uh, but if you shoot oh, an alligator so in the not, back, it's so kind you of found soft
0: casings.
1: We found it all.
4: We found so the whole well, bullets. The, the we casing, found casing, I mean,
0: you know, I mean, like, he's just eating the he's casing. He's just eating stuff, yeah. But then you found also just the projectile, the bullets. Mm-hmm. Not not
1: mushroomed. Like a lot of them. I also yeah. could imagine I wonder that wonder if that's when, like, yeah, I wonder if that's picking up. Like a lot of times if they're trying to eat something off the bottom, they'll get a lot of other stuff in their mouth. So they're probably yeah, just. Did you ever hear about the it. one that
0: had some uh, Indian Arrowheads in it? Mm-mm. Remember that? I remember it. Eating so yeah. much garbage off the bottom, he actually inadvertently, assumably, assuming he inadvertently picked up. Type that in, current and type in alligator arrowhead. Was a that a flint in,
3: arrowhead? It was, I forget where that was. Yeah.
1: Go on. Well, that's bad. That's really awesome. Do you no?
0: Um, but the bullets. Do you have pictures of the bullets?
1: No. I mean, this was, this was twenty, twenty eleven, twenty twelve. Got it. Around then.
3: Mississippi.
0: Mississippi. Yeah. <clears throat> Read that. This might tickle your fancy.
3: Uh, the title is, this is CNN, just so happens. Alligators eat lots of things. These prehistoric artifacts were an unusual snack. So this was a Mississippi gator in, well, the guy who found it was based in Yazoo City, Mississippi. But he found, yeah, part of, uh, like, the base part of an arrowhead and then some other kind of, like, uh like an atlatl dart point yeah Yeah.
0: that that, like no like a counterbalance to an atlatl i think if i remember so when when he picks that junk up what's he doing he's just inadvertently getting it while he grabs other stuff
1: yeah i'd imagine so like have you ever seen an alligator attempt to eat something off the bottom they're horrible at it they just sort of turn their head and kind of rub on the bottom and anything that's in their mouth they'll lift their head up and might go down.
3: Is it just like, like a shovel basically? I mean it's... So,
1: yeah, like a... Like if you were to take shovel? two shovels oh, uh-huh. and try to use them as a tool to lift something oh, up off okay. a table. Yep. You know? Mm-hmm. And they're and you're really bad at it. Mm-hmm. So, so is the alligator.
0: And They just siphon all that junk down there. It all goes down, 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 down if they get outlet.
1: what they want to eat. Whatever else is near that thing is going down.
0: Lay out for me how... Th- this is the thing I hear about... Um... People like to talk about the death roll and then them yeah. and then them, burying junk and scavenging junk. And if they catch a person, they'll stash a person under a log or something Yeah, or a deer. Walk me through all that. Like, so so here, here he is. He's in his, he's laying there and a the deer comes out to get a drink.
1: Okay. Laying there. He's seeing the deer at night at the water's edge. He's under the water. He or she's under the water. And approaches slowly under the water until he's near enough to attack the deer. Mm -hmm. Happens in a millisecond. If he can get a hold of the animal, he'll bring it back into the water. You grab it by the leg. He'll grab it by whatever he can grab. And then walk back into the water with it. And usually the prey dies by drowning. Okay. But then what happens is, this is a a thing that um, some colleagues of mine have published recently about. It's called prey caching. Okay. So they'll go like find a, a wallow or a log or a You skip a the death rock. roll. What, is that a real thing? It's coming. It's coming, yeah. Oh, it's coming? Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. It's coming. So It's already dead. It's dead. But how do they get a leg off of a big deer? Gotcha. They okay. death roll. And go a lot on. of times- I just want to make sure you're not- I'm going there. I'm not leading you away. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll take that animal and stick it under the water for a couple days, a week, and then they'll reapproach it- Do and, they guard it? And roll it? off. I don't think- think that there's data to suggest that a single animal will guard a prey cache.
0: Well, how does how does it not just... Like, if you stick a deer under the water, how does every gator in town not come and eat it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think they do. Oh. I think a big alligator might have some say in who comes and eats it. So, like, a, a large male crocodilian usually has a home territory. Okay. And if a smaller male comes into that territory, they either get eaten or got to go. Got it. Um, So if they put it in a spot that's theirs, I doubt there's much of a struggle. I understand. Granted, if if another alligator sees that deer being pulled into the water, it's going to make an attempt to try to eat something. Mm -hmm. So either at that time or after caching has occurred, they'll bite onto what they think is a swallowable size part and roll it off. Do a death roll underwater roll it off or that alligator trying to come steal a meal might latch onto something and roll and get a bite so him
0: him that's his fork and knife
1: yeah his teeth his his roll. yeah
4: Hmm. what about
5: uh sense of smell like you met you talked about they see this deer at the water's edge but like dudes who go out and like are catching crocs for whatever, the commercial market meat or whatever, they're often like hanging a big chunk of chicken. Like, yeah.
1: are they fine in that? I'm assuming by smell, right? Yeah. You know, we don't know a lot about the chemosensory ability right? of crocodilians. We know that it's probably pretty complex. Like, we know that they probably use a lot of uh pheromones, to communicate, Mm -hmm. but gosh, it's a challenge trying to isolate that stuff. And I don't think anybody's really looked into that too much. But
4: they
0: don't have a mechanism by which you can, they can't smell underwater, correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, when you hang that piece of chicken and it's rotting in the Louisiana sun and some of it starts to drip off into the water. They know it's there. They'll okay, so he it. doesn't yeah, need to. Shark. He doesn't need to.
0: But he, yeah, well, he does because he's taking, he's taking water in. But when you're underwater, you're not going to smell underwater. Why you're not, not? taking. You're not taking anything in. You're not taking particles. But all in. that's
5: like all that liquid is passing
0: through their nostrils. I don't know. I don't know. That's why. I'm, that's why we. I have, would That's why we have a guest on the show.
1: Yeah, and this is.
0: I don't know if that's true. Like when you, you sounded like you knew but it was you, very true. No, when no, I'm telling you this. When you go underwater, okay, like a beaver, let's say you're trapping beaver and you put out beaver caster. Right. He knows about it when he's at the surface. He's gonna smell it on the air. When he's underwater, he's locked down. He's not he's he's not inhaling and picking up particles. A shark's underwater. Moving all that water through, and, and however they're doing it, they're tasting all the particulate matter in the water. You're not, buddy.
5: Yeah, but w- humans have a horrible sense of smell. So, how can you make the comparison? So I could put
0: you underwater. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I could put you underwater with some skunk smell. Right. But and I'm I, not an, a damn alligator. I know.
5: <laughs> I'm
0: not either. <laughs>
1: Can they smell underwater? I'll say this. <laughs> when they're hunting, they use their sight first, I'd imagine. You in think certain, so? In certain scenarios. But the other thing we know about all crocodilians is that they have these really cool pits on their face that sense change in water pressure. Hmm. Huh. So when they can't see underwater, they can feel really well what's going on around them and oh, snap at stuff. Oh, really? So I think hmm. that those are the top two sort of modes of finding prey, but I know that there's a chemosensory ability there that is poorly understood or not understood well by me, Hmm. which is a likely possibility.
0: Underwater even. Underwater. Underwater, Brody. I figured. (laughs) Dude, in trivia, no, man, when there's gator questions, I'm gonna be all over that. man. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear columbia pfg solar stream elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day man i was just in hawaii and i had my columbia pfg solar stream elite hoodie with me and here's the deal we're in and out of the water all the time getting in to go spear fishing, getting out taking the kids to the beach i'm not gonna mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off i just run a hoodie I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50 and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Now I want to go back to the beginning a little bit. Why? You always hear the alligators were one. So Endangered Species Act was... 73, 1973. Oh no, I got another question. Okay. Before I get into this, Uh, this is the thing I was wondering about when I was in Florida. And this might not be your, I'm sure it's not your area of expertise, but maybe you've had some um, run ins on this. One, I learned that when we say um, the seminal, okay, that that was a sort of, uh, I always thought that the seminal, I thought the seminal, were a like a sort of like always existing <laughs> like a like a pre-contact pre-existing tribe of native americans that lived in florida i later learned that the seminole was sort of like a later congregation of a, a later congregation of native americans and even others escape slaves and things like formed this sort of like unit, the Seminole and then the Seminole Wars was against these tribes, but they were that they were assembled out of other tribes. So had you asked me a month ago, I would have asked the question this way. How did the Seminole, did they use these re did they use alligator resources in their, in their life ways for food and material products? But now I know that you wouldn't say that you'd say groups that I don't know their names is like, have you ever run into, have you ever had any exposure to this question? Like historically, like 500 years ago, 600 years ago, were humans using this resource?
1: I've never been asked that question before, but I would venture to say yes, because I know that in like, uh, artifact sites where mm-hmm. they find a lot of stuff, they find a lot of alligator scoots Got it. in some of those sites. Um... I mean, I'm sure they were used for food. Yeah.
0: When I was talking with Clay about this, he's like, well, why in the hell not? I'm like, I don't, I mean, it seems obvious, but I don't know.
1: Yeah. Why not? Um, I mean, I think that there's, in South Florida in particular, there's a, there's a lot of sort of heritage based, sort of cultural based, um, you know, efforts to alligator wrestling as a sport that I believe, if I'm not mistaken, has pre-European contact
0: ties. Someone told me that as well. Yeah. I don't so, know if that was true.
1: So that would venture to guess, you know, at, at that time, then yeah, they were probably utilized as a resource.
0: No. I realize I'm asking you something way outside of your wheelhouse, but That's okay. I, I appreciate the input.
1: I'll comment on anything.
0: No, here's my question. Okay. They're everywhere, dude. Like now, okay? I couldn't believe. When we were turkey hunting, right in our little turkey area, there's like this like, they were laying on top of each other. You're going down this canal and it's dry right now, so I understand they're concentrated. But you're going down a canal and you get to where you know eat, eat like at first, cause we're from the north, you're like, Oh my god Like you know, and the guy we're with, the, that's from Florida, he don't he can't he don't even look.
2: So just me and grown, me he just mean you're like, he, Oh my god, oh my god,
0: are you seeing this?
2: You know? <laughs> yeah, Richard just rolled his <laughs> eyes. He's like, "Holy
0: shit, man!" We're like, "There's another one. <laughs> They're all over." You know, I'm not saying there's too many. I'm just saying there is a lot. But it blows my mind that, like, in '73, they were they were kind of like one of the early Endangered Species Act things. How did they? How did they get reduced that bad? You know, what I mean, when you look at like how abundant they
1: are. Yeah. So that's a the sort of. Classic story of unregulated harvest mm-hmm. for meat and hide, and they were just harvest, I mean, throughout the forties, nineteen fifties, into the sixties, there was really no legislation that said you can't harvest as many as you can find, and um, you know they nearly went extinct.
0: It was it was that from like mechanically, it wasn't it wasn't from pollution.
1: Now, well, it, that was not the major culprit at that it time. was like you were mechani- like
0: mechanically harvest. one by one removing killing yeah. them all
1: yeah i mean of course pollution and habitat destruction have a hand in any decline in a sp- species numbers yeah but this was directly tied to unrelated harvest
0: yeah but i mean there is like you get my distinction right like if you look at something you know the, the, the cormorant when the cormorant was imperiled. the cormorant was imperiled because of of like biotoxins, right? And sure. certainly like we lost certain or almost lost some avian predators from right. what was it? What was it? DDT? What was DDT. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From, from DDT. So it was like, you know, environmental factors drove them to near extinction. Compare that to sort of, um, you know, the American Buffalo, it'd be like, by and large, they were mechanically removed. Meaning mean, like one, two, three, like kill, yep. kill, 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 kill to the point where you killed them all. Yep. And that's what I couldn't understand. It's like, so with gators, it's like the gator hunters literally just like, got them
1: all. Yep. Completely unregulated. What I mean, that's the story, right? I mean, there's I a fair allowed.
5: bit of commercial harvest of wild gators now.
1: Well, that's what saved them, ironically, right. is the it's regulation on yeah. harvest actually saved them. And more than that, the utility of the American alligator as a natural resource became monetized in such a way that was reliant on successful wild populations.
0: How how did they, how'd they bake that up?
1: So there were, there were sort of two teams of people, one in Southwest Louisiana and one in South Carolina that were sort of working towards the same end goal uh, at the same time. And I'm not sure if they collaborated or not, but essentially uh, how it happened was that, was that ranchers and harvesters, especially ranchers for eggs, for hides had to harvest eggs from from wild uh, populations near where they were located or otherwise, and they had to return a bunch. But if you're monetizing, if you're making money off of the existence of eggs being out there, there's got to be eggs out there the next year. So really the amount of money that went into alligators as a natural resource saved the American alligator because now all these folks need there to be a bunch of alligators out there every year.
5: What um, like if you base it on pounds of meat or number of hides, like total in the U.S., what would be the percentage coming from wild gators versus like farm? Do, if you had to guess,
0: I've I, seen these stats. I can't remember what you? I was looking at. Yeah,
1: i I would venture that most of the hide industry comes from wild populations, but they're required to put back a ton of alligators every year that Mm -hmm. they're not allowed to harvest. They have size
5: limits and things. Well, they have,
1: they have, I think in most states, they have proportion limits. So whatever you collect in eggs, you got to put half of that back or a quarter of that back or a third of that back. But I would imagine that the meat industry recreationally is all from wild harvest, but I'm not sure about, you know, large scale meat operations. I've never seen a farm that whose sole product is alligator meat, but I'm sure they exist. Because they but,
0: traffic in hides, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, hides is hides is where the money is. That's the big money. Yeah, hides are where them.
0: And that's for boots. So, hold on. Did I, did all, I all manner of things. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Did, I, did I miss it? How do they get the eggs back, and wh- how does that come into play?
1: So I think most states have it where you harvest eggs, incubate eggs, hatch them out, and then a pr- large number of what you hatch out has to go back. To where you harvested those eggs? Why not just Florida leave density.
2: half the eggs?
0: Because there's a, probably well, a higher likelihood that it's going to be a successful. It's probably a higher likelihood there'll be a successful reproduction
2: if you hatch them yourself. Like, I mean, look at when
0: they're doing stuff with right. when they're doing stuff with salmon. Like you could take a salmon, you take a salmon out of the wild, take its eggs, and, and then you bring them, um, you rear them. You know, you're you're close to like hundred percent of those eggs putting off a fingerling mm.
1: yeah i mean i and think in the
0: wild it'd be like maybe like zero or one percent would make it that far
1: yeah they, they do leave a lot of nests out there i mean it's impossible to harvest all these nests but there's some great data out of central florida in the 90s that suggests that of the number of eggs that are laid in a specific area only about a third or less of those eggs reach one year old after hatching hmm. so survivorship is super low anyway so to leave them out there would be kind of a futile task
0: mm-hmm. got it
1: but it's a great story how do the they go recovery about, of the alligator
0: how, how talk about like like walk me through how an alligator like what is its reproductive cycle
1: so yeah an american alligator typically lays its eggs uh june july And you can tell, so if you live in Texas, egg-laying anecdotally starts in Florida and spreads westward. So if you have egg-laying in Florida, you can expect it to be upcoming in Alabama. Mm -hmm. You can expect it to be upcoming in Louisiana and finally over there in East Texas.
0: What time of year does she, and how does she, uh, will she make love with a lot of males or is it just, are they somewhat monogamous?
1: Yeah, no, alligators uh, have sperm storage and multiple paternity. We know that from a lot of work um, actually in Louisiana. So yeah, there'll be more than one.
0: uh, So she'll uh, breed with multiple males. and then so those eggs could bear multiple fathers. It could be represented by multiple fathers.
1: Yeah. Some data from Cayman population suggests that even though females are breeding with multiple males, there's really only one or two males that sire pretty much all the Mm. eggs. Got it. Um, But it's possible. Uh, And so that that courtship occurs, you know, in springtime, you know, in South Florida, March, April, okay. um, and then a little bit later as you move more north and more west. And then eggs are oviposited, you know, nests are constructed, you know, essentially overnight and late in mm, mid-June, late June, early July.
0: Laying out, and they're laying out on the surface in like a little nest.
1: The mounds, yeah. So they'll build mounds of like degraded vegetation. Well, they'll, it won't be. It won't be rotting vegetation at the time, but they'll harvest, you know, Spartina grass, whatever sort of vegetation's available on the on the on the edge of the water, mm-hmm. and they'll build a mound of it, and then lay their eggs within that mound, and then seal the mound up. So it's <laughs> and a how many eggs? It's a pretty compact little little thing. How many eggs? The lowest I've ever seen is nineteen, and the most eggs I've ever seen in nests is fifty-two. Wow. But I think you would say they would probably average 35 eggs or so. Mm. Damn. So there's a lot of disparity in the number of eggs that a mother will oh, oviposit.
0: Yeah. Man, you can see it. It would be impactful if you took those and protected them and incubated them.
1: You get a lot of returns. Wow. A lot of gators back out there. So then continuing the timeline, what do we got? We're in early July. And she hangs out weekend. by that nest. If Yes. So alligators typically well typically are they don't but i would say about a third of alligators will hang out by that nest really early to start um, and then they'll sort of ease off the nest during the middle of development and then return to the nest to assist with hatching. Hmm. Well they do. Yeah. Huh. So they're they're really good moms in the And they front come end, and they are they reliable
0: the to come back to their own nest
1: like another year?
0: No 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 i'm saying it wouldn't be, like, like she's going to return to the nest she laid. Right. She's not going to re- just randomly just go to any old nest. Like, she knows she, they have fidelity to their own nest.
1: They do, although there's some really cool data out of South Carolina that suggests that there's potentially some kind of altruism in nest defense. So, like, hmm. they found footage of multiple mothers defending the same nest, and they were sort of unsure why at that time. That's But normally the wild. assumption is that, yeah, mom will hang out by her nest in a wallow and defend it or not from a predator. Mm-hmm. And there's a degree to which they defend. Like if you pull up in a boat, some moms will just run away and hang out 100 yards away and say, what are you doing in my nest? Mm-hmm. Other moms will attempt to roll the boat over. So hmm. you get it from time to time. But alligators are... Probably the most frequently, they they will attend and defend the nest as frequently as any other species of crocodilian.
0: Got it. So she'll hang out, lay it, and then how long is incubate, or how long do they lay there? That's incubation, right? Yeah. Incubation. How long is incubation? Duration.
1: Alligators on average about sixty five days. And roughly. is it
0: true that the temperature determines
1: the sex of the hatchling? Yeah. Yes, it is true.
0: So that nest will throw all males or all females, depending.
1: It could depending on the temperature, but usually there's a, well, usually there's a thermal regime within the nest cavity that allows for potentially both sexes to be Uh. produced.
0: But it could be manipulated where 30 eggs are all male. Yeah. If you put it in a lab and put it at like whatever, you set the temperature for like 78 degrees. Yeah. Or whatever the hell it is.
1: That'd be like 81 and a half to 83 is
0: the temperature regime for one sex
1: yeah so it's they exhibit fmf sex termination it's called type 2 sex termination so at low incubation temperatures you get females and then at this sort of narrow range you get males and when you get above that second uh pivotal temp you get females again Hmm. but there's some Hmm. argument that that upper pivotal temp is never reached uh more more coming on that next time i'm here what
5: happened, you guys are working
4: think,
1: on that right now. Somebody is, not me.
5: What happens if uh, that nest gets raided by a raccoon or whatever? All the eggs get destroyed. Does she just start over, or
1: mm, she can't start over? She, she may can. wait till next year. Okay. Mm-hmm. There are a few species of crocodilian that have multiple clutches in a year, but those that's very rare. Okay. What's the, the primary the the nest robber? Raccoons, by mm-hmm. far. Raccoons and hogs.
2: That old bandit. Hogs oh, like them. Getting turkey and, eggs, and and them eggs and alligator mm. you eggs.
0: Know.
3: I just have a question for you. are Saying within one nest, based on the temperature regime, you can have males and females. Is there any data on like how eggs are dispersed within the nest? Uh, in terms of like an area under more vegetation, which would be colder or warmer, or like if there's any kind of
1: yeah yeah. So. Those questions we thought would be really interesting to ask in whole nesting animals like Mm -hmm. the American crocodile. What we find in American alligator nests is that they're essentially within a compost pile of rotting vegetation. Mm -hmm. And the temperature seems to stay relatively hot and relatively stable in there. I mean, yeah, there are nests that, that bridge that lower pivotal temp, which means males and females will thermally be produced. But we had the same idea as you in Costa Rica. So the American crocodiles dig holes in the sand mm-hmm. and deposit their eggs in there.
0: Like similar to a turtle. Exactly like a turtle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Just
1: a lot more mm-hmm. eggs and a lot bigger. So
0: they'll pull up on a sandbar and...
1: And dig with their back feet and oviposit and then... Cover it up. Cover it cool. right back up. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But we thought, yeah, if it's, if it's under some shade under a tree, then that may play a role in the thermal regime of that nest.
3: Or deeper in the sand. If it's really deep in the
1: sand, exactly, then that will also probably play a role. But we actually found that neither of those things matter at Mm -hmm. all. They're completely uncorrelated to the thermal regimes of these nests. But what happens to be correlated is the egg size. So metabolic heating is playing more of a role in determining the thermal regime of these nests than... How much shade or how deep Mm -hmm. the nest is? That's a sample size of you know, fourteen or fifteen or so nests, um, which was hard enough to get. Sure.
0: Meaning the same way that the 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 human body generates heat,
1: metabolic heating. Yep, metabolism heat is given off in exergonic reactions. So and the larger that the egg is like generating in the, warmth. It's in generating that. warmth in the nest. Yeah. So we put in these little That's eye gotta buttons. It's got to be like,
0: it couldn't be that you put your hand on and it felt warm. It's just like slight, right?
1: Uh, 2.5 degrees C. So we put an eye button in the center of the nest cavity. Mm-hmm. And then we put an eye button at the exact same depth of that eye button, a meter away from the nest. Okay. And we found that the average difference in temperatures between those two little eye button loggers was two and a half degrees Celsius, which is a a lot. Hmm. Right? What is that? No kidding. Somebody Google that. It's got to be like five or six degrees Fahrenheit or more.
0: So when those little baby alligators are ready to how many days gestation? Or not gestation. Alligators
1: incubation about 65 on average.
0: So she lays them. Yeah. And she might skedaddle. She could. She might. Yep. But then she might come back around hatch time.
1: Well, she usually stays there for a week or two after ovipositing. Mm-hmm. Defends the nest, is hanging around. You yeah. see them at the nest. And then we find that the frequency of attendance goes down towards the middle of incubation. Likely because mom's got other things to do. She has probably hasn't eaten in a couple of weeks. She needs to seek some other thermal refugia besides sitting on the bank of a swamp, you know? Um, and then returns a week or two before hatching, and hangs out with them.
0: And does she need to dig them out, or do they dig themselves out like turtles?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of you know interesting stories that alligator moms will open the nest for them and remove them and uh, sort of carry them over to where they need to be in the water really? or whatever. Yeah. But most of the nests that I approach that have hatched, that doesn't happen. Oh, okay. The eggs just hatch, and the hatchlings just sort of move around and wriggle themselves to the top.
4: And
0: how long are they when they come out?
1: Mm, six inches. Okay. Seven inches. Aww, but they do make a so lot of cute. sounds. So alligator <laughs> hatchlings in the egg, when they're ready to hatch, will kind of make this little chirp noise. Like, do it. You know,
0: Oh, you hear <laughs> the eggs doing that? Yeah,
1: and that signals uh, hatching to occur theoretically in the other eggs around that egg.
0: And it calls in. And it also and theoretically,
1: genes, yeah, but it also helps mom know that it's time to come over. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean that's the that was a nice I, anthropomorphized are, story. I, I make
5: that noise. That's I was talking call. to a guy that hunt they're hunting gators down yeah. in Florida. And uh, they use that sound, like if they're looking for a big gator. Yeah, that should be
3: like a gator. They'll call, make right? that
5: sound to get that oh. thing to like show oh. itself. I do
1: it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah it me- works. Me- it me- works pretty me- well. Me-
5: Giannis <laughs> <laughs> <they're, laughs> next calling.
0: And they're me- yeah, ever. do a gator way yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> do a way <laughs> off, baby
5: gator. <laughs> you said two and a half degrees <laughs> uh, Celsius. Yeah, like, Chris, that's
0: four and a half degrees Fahrenheit.
1: Wow, so oh, wow. not so as you can really feel it though. Yeah, it's hotter.
3: Wait, what? That two degrees Celsius okay. is no, four is. degrees Fahrenheit? No, like,
0: like the, the difference. So, oh, like, oh, so if, okay. if something okay. is two Got and a half it. degrees Celsius more, then it would be four Got and a half it. Fahrenheit. Um, when she comes back to hang out with them, what is she actually doing? I mean, do the little baby gators come out? Let's say 20 of them come crawling out of the mud. Yeah. They don't imprint on her. Like, I mean, does she is she able to sort of manipulate the group and orchestrate and be like, I'll show y'all how to catch shrimp. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, what is she really doing? Or is she just keeping predators away from the general vicinity?
1: Yeah, I think most of her role at that time is trying to not let herons and raccoons and large stuff eat them. Okay. So um, she's a presence. She's a, exactly. She's there to say, don't come eat my hatchlings kind of thing. But there's, I mean, there are some, some crocodilians that are, you know, really incredible from a parental aspect. Like the male gharial in India will essentially let all the hatchlings ride on its back for quite a long time after after hatching. Uh, there, there. I would say that of all the vertebrates that I've ever learned about, my favorite parents are crocodilians. I'm also biased, mm-hmm. but take that for what it's Is worth. Is there a fair
5: bit of cannibalism that goes on?
1: Oh yeah. Uh, at larger sizes. I mean, I I remember going out, collecting samples in Louisiana and seeing an eight foot alligator with a four foot alligator hanging out of its mouth.
5: But not so much the little babies.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're a male alligator and you hear that sound, you're going to come meet those babies.
0: Oh, that's why they're liking that
1: sound. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's why it's easy to use to get an alligator to show itself because a male wants to eat it or a female that's outside of the reproductive time probably will- want a snack.
0: And there's no paternal, the males have no, as far as we know, no comprehension of what females and what nest they sired. I mean, they're just out, they're out of the picture.
1: In alligators. Yeah. that Yeah. That's my understanding. There's no paternal investment really in the clutch. And they'll mow, they'll, the initial, they'll mow
0: those little babies down.
1: They'll eat them up. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And that's probably, I mean, I, I would say that's true for most crocodilian species where the paternal aspect is effectively irrelevant after fertilization. Bill,
0: when they're real little like that, six inches long, yeah, what are they trying to feed on?
1: Bugs and stuff, little bugs. I mean, for a long time, they probably don't even eat. You know, they come out with a yolk sac that's hanging behind them that's not fully shut yet. Oh, really? So in the egg, they've got this yolk sac on their belly and when they hatch out, there's essentially a... I mean, you can see it still there. And then eventually the yolk will get absorbed and the skin will heal around it. So they're sustaining on that for a good while. I don't really think I, I don't know how long, but a little while before they start getting their swimming legs under them and can go eat bugs and little fish and stuff like that. But they hang by the nest for a couple of weeks, you know.
0: They'll hang around by it.
1: They'll hang around. Yeah.
0: What are you guys, you or your colleagues... What are your theories on, um, in, in South Florida, what are your theories on what's happening with the dynamic between the pythons and gators? Like, you hear yeah. these crazy cases where, like, a python grabs a gator and it swallows it and the gator fights his way back out of its gut.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, okay, what what
0: is there anything substantial going on here between is it is it like a new great food source? Is it negligible impact?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot better people to ask than me who work on crocodilians in South Florida about that particular topic. But for me, not knowing much, you know, in that area, um, I would say that it's kind of a negligible thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you you get these interesting stories of large pythons that have killed and are eating a smaller alligator and you see potentially alligators with a snake in their mouth. But I think you just sort of introduce one more organism to the assemblage there that, that gets eaten or is eaten, you know, is eaten or eats mm-hmm. can chomp on each other. But uh, I don't, I don't see that as a necessarily, a, a prevalent mainstay viable resource for either one of those species.
0: Yeah. Speaking of pythons, we had a guy, he didn't work on this project, but his colleagues did. Is they were trying to figure out how far pythons can spread. Yeah. And I feel like it involved making these little enclosures and like burying pythons or something in the for the winter. Okay. And in the spring seeing if they were dead or alive. Yeah. Anyways, they drew a sort of hypothetical line.
5: Yeah. You mean how far north they Sorry,
0: can yeah. Have. They were trying to be like, okay, in the future, how like at what point will what would be the climate restriction? Sure. And they drew a rough line. Maybe went through like, I can't remember if it reached South Carolina or not, where feasibly they could like reliably survive the winter. Yeah, Um, What prevents gate? Like why, why can't we have alligators in the great lakes?
1: It's too cold.
0: That's it. Yeah. I mean, that's obvious, but that, that, that is what it is because it would do the cold would do what?
1: The cold would metabolically shut them down to a, a state in which, the when the temperatures were adequate in the summer, they would have, they wouldn't be able to harvest enough resources to survive the extended period that's below their critical thermal minimum. Got it. So there's a realized niche and a fundamental niche. A uh, realized niche is what, what aspects of your environment, do you commonly see or are exposed to mm-hmm. a fundamental niche is what aspects of this n dimensional hyper volume of environment will kill you or not. And the thermal regime of somewhere that far north is outside of the fundamental niche of an American alligator.
5: So it's a length of exposure thing.
1: Correct? Yeah, Cause I mean, y- you see them. With their nose for, up yeah. in North Carolina, yeah, yeah, in the ice and that kind of stuff, yeah. But they can't sustain that for, I mean, six months of the year right. It feels like up here. You know, mm. it'd be cool though. I wish they were in the Great Lakes.
0: Yeah. If you, what's crazy, <laughs> if you think, um, you imagine a grizzly on the North Slope, or, you know, a grizzly in a lot of places, or black bears in a lot of parts of their range, they're spending more months underground than they are up, yeah, up and about. They're spending more months not
1: Not foraging.
0: Yeah, spending more months not foraging than foraging. Yeah. But well, that would become bad news for a gator.
1: Yeah, I mean, aside from just the temperature being so cold that it kills them.
2: Oh, gotcha. You know? Yeah. And then uh Well how long can they make it between meals?
1: Uh yeah, I mean Yeah. I I think that that crocodilians can survive in theory months without a meal from a sort of low metabolic standpoint, right? We talked about the animals estivating um, in Costa Rica. That's two, three months without literally no chance to eat, right? Um, So metabolically, since they're sort of low profile on that, they can go a long, long time without eating. Um, But when they do, they utilize it relatively efficiently Mm -hmm. from a, cellular perspective.
0: I had a guy that guides on Okeechobee. Um, Captain Bob Stafford guides gator hunts on Okeechobee. And he says when he's guiding a client, okay, who wants a trophy gator, he says a trophy gator is um, 10 feet. That in his mind is like trophy gator land. Okay. So when he has like a client that really wants a big gator, they're looking for a 10 plus gator. How old is that?
1: Yeah, that's a hard question because growth rates are directly correlated to the thermal environment and resource acquisition for that animal. So I'll give you an example. I know of a 75-year-old wild alligator in Okefenokee swamp.
0: He's alive right now.
1: Well, was in 2007. It was 75 at the time. And that animal's about 12 feet long.
0: 75 years old and he's 12 feet long. So I don't,
1: maybe a little bigger. But I don't know that you can draw, you know, a a clear straight line between age and length. Got it. Um, But I would imagine. Because you could have
0: one that's 12 feet and 60 years old. Right. Or you could have one that's 14 feet and 75 years old. Hmm.
1: Right. A male. Yeah, at that size. But I'll tell you, in Costa Rica, you know, we would mark hatchlings in hopes of finding them again. In the next year, so we mark a hatchling that's also about you know six or seven inches long. We found one well, the next year, twenty-two kilometers away from where we marked it, that was over a meter long. That is so. Fast. What the heck is going on there? Yeah. That thing grew incredibly fast. He went from six inches
0: to roughly mid thirty-six three and a inches half feet. Yeah, to three in and a half feet in a
1: year. Gosh. Really. Yeah, which I was blown away by. We I found that like someone, two more times. I feel times. like someone
0: moved your tag.
1: Well, it's impossible. Someone <laughs> was feeding that <laughs> It's a scoot that's removed from the back, so they all get an, 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 oh, a, really? an individual ID number. But that makes me say, you know, I, I've always thought that, you know, in general, a no crocodilian kidding. will grow up like a foot a year if you're an alligator, which makes a nine-foot-long animal, you know, not nine years older or, or a little older. But that really changed my perspective on stuff. Like when you see a a three-meter animal in Costa Rica, do we really think that that's only three or four years old potentially? Like there needs to be a lot more investigation done on on that.
0: What's the oldest you've heard about for the American alligator? For
1: the American alligator, 75 from Okefenokee. But so I, that so that as, as far as wild. you know that's top end in the wild that's the that's the top end that I've heard of. I wouldn't be surprised if they live eighty years. Uh, you know, for for a statistical outlier, but I would say forty-five to sixty years if you make it past that uh, initial small stage, you got a good shot.
3: Older mm. for crocs or
1: mm. hard to say. Okay, yeah. hard to say, especially if we're talking about that. Potentially super fast young rate of growth mm-hmm. in Costa Rica. How how old are those monsters mm-hmm. out there? Are they only fifteen or twenty? I mean, I don't I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think we know. I bet Australia has really good data mm-hmm. on that for saltwater crocodiles because mm-hmm. they. And when they get to the end
2: good. of their lifespan, just like us, they just they age out. They die. The yeah, get weak.
1: I found. I found a dead croc sitting on the bank. I was actually on a on a tour in Costa Rica, helping with a tour. And there was a crocodile on the bank. And I said, let's go over and see that thing. And we approached it and it was just dead. No idea why. Just got old and died there.
0: He said, boys, I'm going to climb on that bank <laughs> and, and okay, die. A peaceful place. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: I've never, there any, I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. And this thing was probably three and a half meters long. So like 12, 13 feet. So what is, what is,
0: what do you call an adult alligator? How do you define an adult alligator? Like I would say an adult wild turkey.
1: Yeah. Let's call it Tom. It's two. Bull. Yeah. Yeah. We use that term. But at what age
0: is he, at what age would you say like that's a mature adult?
1: Yeah. So when, when they, I would use the word adult when they're obviously of reproductive status. And and
0: give me a rough ballpark.
1: For a male, seven, eight feet. For a female, six six feet plus.
0: Okay. Once he gets to that size, is what's gonna kill him is that gonna be a human?
1: Or another alligator. Okay. Bigger alligator. But yeah. Humans or ecotoxins or another bigger bull alligator.
5: What's the uh male female like max size difference? Mm.
1: Yeah, males get get larger than females, and that's
5: like across the board with crocodilians. Or yeah, they, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, um, but
1: Does I mean, a,
3: sexual dimorphism.
1: Good phrase. Good. Yeah, yeah. nice job.
0: She learned that. Listening to me <laughs> trivia. Podcast. I did trivia.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, I
1: mean, a, an adult male can you know pretty easily reach 10, 12, 14 feet. Um, I think the biggest female I've ever caught caught was you know nine and a half feet mm. and that's a that's a big female mm-hmm. got it
0: so when people are like when in the case these guys hunting trophy gators they're hunting those are males
1: yeah they're hunting big bull males in oh. usually open water is there any visual
5: like if you were looking at just gonna a ask pile you. of crocodiles could you let's say they're all roughly the same size could yeah. you pick out the males and the females any way to do yeah, that is there like no? a
3: physical attribute you know that yeah. becomes pronounced at a certain year
1: I had a student that was interested in that question and utilized a tool called geometric morphometrics, which is a shape quantification. It's a lot of morphs. Yeah, geometric (laughs) morphometrics. It's a shape quantification tool where he took photos of heads of males and photos of heads of females and sort of allowed the software to see if there were any subtle differences. Hmm. And there are. I don't remember what they were because we haven't published (laughs) those data yet. But... I think that I have a little instinct to say that's a male and that's a female. But to be able to describe it you. are like those dudes who
0: can sex chickens. (laughs) (laughs) Like they can't explain what they're doing when they do it.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of alligator biologists might have that. You know, when you look at that and say, hmm, that's a male.
5: But there's no clear thing for the average person to be like,
2: that's a.
1: No. And I don't even think it's clear to us. Like, right. even when I'm doing it, I say 70% of my mind, that's a male. Yeah. But am I, am I right? That's like, bl- that's like black, bear,
0: black bear hunters.
5: Well, a <laughs> range of black bears where it's like, they're of a size that you're like, I don't know. Could be.
0: You yeah. know. But now and then. Well, Yanni was telling me the other day, when you see a mountain lion with the big forehead wrinkles. Mm. Explain that.
5: The ones that look real angry. Well, yeah, when they <laughs> yeah. got the fat rolls on
0: yeah. their forehead. That's well, a, no, it's that's actually the, a
2: vertical crease.
0: Oh, it's a vertical crease. Okay, I remember yeah. talking about that.
2: And it looks like darker than the rest of the. Head. Like when you
0: see that vertical crease, you're looking at a big male, or or so they say. Yeah. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura Frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. That allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, it's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app, and if you're giving an Aura as a gift. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear columbia pfg solar stream elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day man i was just in hawaii and i had my columbia pfg solar stream elite hoodie with me and here's the deal we're in and out of the water all the time getting in to go spear fishing, getting out taking the kids to the beach i'm not gonna mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off i just run a hoodie I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to columbia.com slash pfg and shop all of their performance fishing gear sport dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry born in 2003 in knoxville tennessee sport dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs the sport dog promise to consumers is simple gear the way you'd design it every product sport dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter now i've got two good buddies with what i would call really really good waterfowl dogs and here's one of those buddies max not the dog but the buddy
1: i've used that sport dog collar now in multiple different states u.s and canada different temperatures all the way to negative 20 degrees and it just doesn't stop
6: working i'm a fan for life
0: get 20 percent off your first purchase using code meat eater so go to www.sportdog.com meat eater to learn more do you uh, you ever eat alligators, or you or you don't? Or are they not appetizing to you? Oh,
1: well, they're great. Yeah.
0: How many how many times a year do you eat alligators?
1: <clears throat> well, maybe three. Yeah. I make an alligator sauce piquant, an old old Louisiana recipe that is just dynamite. Okay. It's a tomato based, roux based sort of soupy stew. Yep. And it's hot. It's spicy. And uh, put my alligator meat in there. Oh man.
0: So I know you're a fisherman. Do you, have you ever hunted gators or do you just get nope. your meat somewhere else? I
1: just buy it from the sustainably harvested meat that's sold.
0: You never put in for gator permits or nothing? No. Let's say I handed you a gator tag right now. Would you be like, sweet? No. Or would you be like, nah.
1: I'm not going to go out in the wild and harvest an alligator myself. Just I catch not. them all the time for for the stuff that I do for my job, but... It's don't, 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 not, you don't have, you don't have that,
0: you don't have that. It's just not burning. I just love them. When
1: you
5: guys much. are catching them to do whatever <laughs> research on an individual animal you want to do, how are you getting them? Are you putting baited hooks out or no, no? That'll hurt the thing.
1: I As a physiological ecologist, I need that thing to last a lot longer than after it deals with me. Right. Mm. So we can catch them by hand if they're small. We can catch them by a snare on a on a pole. So we literally take like a, dangle it over like a snare that makes like a lasso with a tree lock mechanism sure. on it. And I electrical tape it to a cane pole and I'm on in a boat on the front of the boat. And I try to put that, that open, well, open part of the snare over its neck and yank it shut. And then as soon as I get it on the boat, I open the snare, get it off of them.
0: So, you're not setting snares for them?
1: No. No. Man, I when I was just in
0: Florida, them? we were talking about, you know, there's a <clears throat> conibears. It's a body gripping trap. Okay. 110, 220, 330. And then they've started to fill it in like 160. Anyways, me and Seth were talking about getting some A80s <laughs> because we found some pinch points for gators that have been dynamite, man. <laughs> well, yeah. So, A80 I mean, conibears setting that little where these channels would neck down, dude. You'd be getting how, gators nonstop. Uh, like, do you guys ever
5: capture, like, real big ones and how would yeah. you do, how, so how are you doing that same way wrestling well, yeah
1: we we would use a a snare um
5: so you guys don't set like some kind of trap that that thing
1: would i've like, set traps enter? for alligators before but that's because i need specific individuals like the mom that laid that nest so i set the net na- the the trap at a nest site where what kind of trap? i want only those that individual gator it's essentially a two by four, eight foot by three foot box that I wrap in chain link and has like a a piece of fence in the front where they go in the back and get a bait, not off a hook, oh. but just off a off a thing, mm-hmm. and it pulls a pin in the door, and then I get them the next morning and work them up and get them out. That's
0: got to be a hefty contraption.
1: I've I've built probably four of them. Most of them burn up in marsh fires, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but I during a ma- during my master's I had really Good success But with how those long traps. is that trap? Like, how long is It's about eight feet long.
0: And you're setting it on the ground?
1: Setting it on the ground.
0: So he's cause she's out coming out of the, the water to come right, up.
1: Right, well, like the, the front lip of it is at the water's edge. And end.
0: what are you baiting it with?
1: Mm, chicken. Really? Stuff like that, yeah. People do that. I've had- Are they madder in hell when you come up on them? Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> they do? Oh, my God. Yeah, they're tearing everything apart. They don't the like it. But then you have to somehow get in the trap with it to work it up. And that's what, always problematic.
0: What's the biggest gator you can wrestle? I asked this to a guy the other day.
4: <laughs> <laughs> this guy's
0: name begins with alligator, okay? As do many people down there, I realize. Yeah. I said, what's the biggest gator you can wrestle? He said you can wrestle a 10-foot gator. I'm like, how could that be true?
1: The biggest alligator I've ever caught was 10, 10 feet 6 inches.
0: Oh, so really?
1: Yeah. By yourself, you're saying. But he which, weighs, with, it yeah. weighs so much else more than you do, though. Yeah, I mean, it's all just rules. I mean, I know a guy who wrestles alligators better than anybody, and he's 140 pounds soaking wet.
0: Okay, walk me through it. Here he is. There's a gator. <laughs> 10 foot gator.
1: There's a gator him. in the water. Let's say he's in the water, and I'm on a boat with a headlamp. And I see that in eye the water. Shot. How deep's the water? Mm, six feet. Really?
0: Eight feet. Well, I thought they had to be on a bank.
1: But no. no. But now it depends. Is so, there okay, visibility he is, in the, in or the water or not? Is there visibility?
0: Gin clear.
1: Oh, well, then it's cake. I win every time.
4: <laughs>
0: okay, like a chocolate shake.
1: Well, then a gator wins almost every time. It's okay, got to be on like, the top and get the snare on. Like
0: him. pretty good visibility. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> Not gin clear, but pretty good. Not chocolate milk. Six feet of water,
1: yeah. 10-foot gator. So usually we, like, approach it pretty slow, shut the motor off in a mud boat or something like that, and try to get close enough with angling the beam of the headlamp just off of the head so that the eye is still in sort of that peripheral light that's emitted. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't think that you're looking directly at it. Yep, mm-hmm. These are secrets that I really shouldn't be sharing. Trade secrets. <laughs>
0: Trade secrets. Yeah, me and Yanni be down there wrestling. He'll be down there doing it.
1: <laughs> and then uh, try to get near enough to put that snare around around its head. and yank No, it I'm shut. talking about
0: wrestling
1: it. Well, that, that that's the first step. Then no, you no, bring no, no, it no, over no. to the boat. Because you can <laughs> wrestle them without a snare. You just mean in hey, the water. Steve's talking gonna, like you I'm go to the jump. circus and see a guy wrestling a gator. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are tons of people who do that really well in captive environments in South Florida. I mean, there's there's folks so that So that's will not snorkel. a thing you do? No.
0: Okay. So, wh- okay. I want to hear what you do, but I thought that, like, <laughs> I thought it was this thing where, like, you grab the gator by the tail. Mm. He goes left. You manipulate his tail.
1: Oh, and yeah. I mean, you can do that stuff if you're in an enclosure. I don't do that. I work. In wild populations, you can't just walk up to an alligator and reliably catch it. I mean, I'm sure it's happened. Got there it. are people that are really good at this, but better than me.
0: But but that's not like if you're going to go get one tonight, that's not your plan.
1: No, because usually I need to get a hundred in a month or something like Got that. It. So wasting that time, plus the one. Yeah, plus it's <laughs> unsafe and would be, um, you'd be viewed poorly by my employer. We had a uh, <laughs> we're friends with
5: this guy who's a, a turkey biologist. Yeah. And he was telling us a story about an unkillable gobbler. Is there like uh, like old gators that are like uncatchable? Like they hear the boat and they're just shh, you know You know about yeah. the new
0: unkillable gobbler? uh uh-uh. Because someone killed the unkillable gobbler. In a tree? No, but the new unkillable gobbler. Tell me, honey.
2: Uh, he said that... Um... They think they got a gobbler that this as, is Dr. You're Mike Chamberlain. Ca- as you're calling him in, he gets to a certain distance and then flies up into the tree. No, that's the
5: one I'm talking to about. To look around. That's the one I'm talking oh, about. Oh, you're talking about yeah, that. And then yeah, like yeah. hops
2: from tree to tree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we
5: talked about that. <clears throat> yeah, recent, I must have told yeah. you about
2: it after I, I seen him.
5: Because I can imagine
2: there's got to be some
5: old-ass gators that are just ghosts. They're like, he's not going to get me. That's what
0: that, that guy in Okeechobee? I said, are there gators out here that, that can live their whole life and not get killed? And he said they get smart, man. Yeah. He goes, they get like hunting a wary white yeah, tail. you
5: get to be 50 years old, and
0: he said they know like they don't they don't make big mistakes. They, yeah. they, they, they like they'll, they'll like hole up and thick shit. You don't just yeah. catch them out dicking around. Yeah. Like they get cautious. Cause he's looking for They're looking for gators in like certain situations. Are they
5: cracking them with rifles or how are they getting
0: them? No, he, he takes Cornish game hens, fills them with foam, So they crack sealer. You can't use a hook. So they use a wooden dowel sharpened on each end and you bury that in the Cornish game hen. And what they do is they find the gator they want and watch it. And he gets to a spot where he feels like he can approach it and it's and its instinct isn't going to be to run away, but he can approach it where its instinct going to be to go down and lay on the bottom. So they'll watch with binos. They hunt in the daytime. Mm-hmm. And he'll get to be like, okay, we can approach it now. And its response will be to hide and not book. They go to it and they know right where it is. And he says, he sets that bait right where he knows that when he comes up, he's going to find yep. the bait. Opens the bale on his fishing rod and goes and gets a couple hundred yards away. And waits. He says, eventually it's going to come up. if you did your job right, and he goes, you got to put it up current or upwind. When he comes up, he's going to be like, oh, shit, a corner's came in. (laughs) And go eat it. And he said, you'll watch. And you'll know when he ate it good is his tail and his head come up.
5: Because he's trying to choke
0: it down. He goes, because sometimes they'll carry it. Yeah. And if you pull, he's just going to drop it. But you wait, wait until and if you get if you're too close to him, he's never gonna eat it. He said if he if he knows you're there, he's gonna grab it and leave. If he thinks he's cool, you watch and you'll know that he swallowed it, at which point he closes the bale and tightens up on it and first takes up all the braid and gets it to like a cable eater. Mm-hmm. And then they just start fucking wrestling it yeah. on the end of that cable leader. Shoot it in the head with a pistol. Eventually they use a um eventually they use a bangster. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll get another hook into it. Yep. You can't you, you can use a hook but you can't bait it so then they'll get a snag and hook
5: oh in. like a big treble then they'll get hook. Yeah, a yeah, snag yeah. and hook do yep. it and yep.
0: then they and then they get it up you said everybody's got a job everybody on the boat like does this you yep. do that you do this and eventually they bang stick it okay so you go you you, you you approach your gator yeah with a snare with a snare but aren't there a lot of them that just aren't gonna never let you approach it yeah it's oh, tough. okay there it's are hard. some.
1: I mean, back to your point. I mean, there was there are some folks in Costa Rica who talk about seven meter size animals in the Tempisque River, mm-hmm. and um, I mean those are gigantic animals. And the reason they get that big is because nobody can ever get a hold of them, right? So I, there are animals out there that are sort of iconically large that you see, you know, once a decade. That's I mean. That's obviously really hard.
0: It ain't just live hard undetected to or uncatchable, undetected.
1: <clears throat> yeah, me and my buddy were standing on the bank of a boat dock in Costa Rica once, and we saw a head off in the distance in the river that looked to be like five feet long, just the head. The head, just the head. I mean, obviously, oh me, I want, I want that to be this massive thing, but man, never seen a head that big. Never saw it again.
0: You didn't go wrestle. it.
1: Couldn't wrassle it. it would lose. It
3: fit inside the mouth. It would lose isn't there,
1: 100% of the
5: time. For the head thing, I don't know if this applies to crocodiles, but isn't it for alligators you can estimate their length by the width of their, like
1: their length yeah, of feet between their correlates eyes.
5: to the width and in inches of their head <laughs> or something like that?
1: Yeah, there's that there's a sort of crude anecdotal metric of the distance from the nares to the eyes in inches oh, is okay. roughly how long the animal is in feet. I mean, I think that's relatively reliable. Yeah.
0: So you approach them in the boat.
1: Approach them in the boat.
0: You got your snare. You come in behind them.
1: Any, any which way, they'll let me approach. Okay. I mean, most of the time, they'll just run or go under, swim away, and they'll reappear, you know, 30 yards to your left. Okay. You do the whole whole thing again. Start the boat up move over to them. If you can get within 12 feet or so is is the cane pole length, then great. You know, something mean, oftentimes I try to put the snare on and miss and do it again.
0: But what if he just goes into some real thick shit and you can't go in there after
1: him? Oh, if they go on land, then they're mine. If they oh. go up in the vegetation, I can work my way up in there and put the snare on them. But Got it's it. when they go down, then I have no idea when they're coming up. I mean, I'll... I'll chase an alligator. Well, I've learned now to just not. Like in open waters in Mobile Bay where we're doing research, I could, you could be after the same alligator for eight hours and never catch it. So after like three tries, I move on to greener pastures.
0: Like you're not going to get them.
1: I'm, yeah, I give up on them.
0: And when you put the snare around it, where are you trying to put it? Around its neck. Okay. Right so you place it with that pole.
1: Place it with a pole. Yank and then it you shut. hand line them. Yank it shut. Bring them in. Or if they're too big to be in the boat, move the boat onto shore and move the animal up onto shore.
0: And what's his attitude about this whole thing? He's
1: pissed. They're not happy. I wouldn't be happy.
0: And you get them up on shore and then how do you you eventually get control of them?
1: Cover their eyes, usually with something if they're really angry. And then one person holds the rope, the other person hops on, shuts their mouth, use gator tape, a.k.a. electrical tape. Tape their mouth shut.
2: Not even duct tape. Take just the snare the old, off. Just electrical tape. Yeah, electrical
1: tape's fine. A Couple wraps.
2: Tape his mouth shut.
1: Tape his mouth shut. Get the snare off as soon as you can. Process the animal.
0: So as powerful as that jaw is. It closes clo- is really yeah, hard. But when it's closed to get it open, it a little can't. bit of resistance is going to keep him from yeah. doing that. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. There are big animals uh, in Costa Rica that we've caught. I think the biggest crocodilian we've ever caught was a little over 16 feet. Those are difficult animals to move. takes Mm -hmm. a whole team of six or eight of us to move them. Well, sometimes less, uh, but the, the hard part is getting the mouth shut enough to actually put electrical tape on it because the, the top of the jaw to the bottom of the jaw of an animal that size is like a foot tall. So I am using all my strength in my arms just to get the mouth shut, and hopefully somebody runs over and tapes the mouth real quick.
0: Have you ever gotten nipped or got your hand in there on accident or seen that
1: happen? Man, go ahead and knock on wood right now. Uh, <laughs> no I, battle scars whatsoever. I have uh, never been seriously injured by a crocodilian.
3: Thank goodness. Knock again.
1: Have
0: you ever seen anyone get nipped or got their hand stuck in there?
1: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. this is like a good way to get
0: an infection.
5: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I imagine you got to watch out for that tail too, huh? Yeah, on people bigger... say that. Really? But, but it's not a...
1: Yeah, I mean, it hurts if it hits you. I mean, on a really big animal, it can knock you off your feet, but... It's not going to snap your leg in half. No. People say that, but that's just hype.
2: So, so what I was going to is... ask you, he can't hurt you with any other body part other than that jaw, really? Like, he can't. I mean, the
1: whole process is painful for me, especially like in Costa Rica. So usually I jump first on the head and then this 250 pound former football player jumps on behind me and mashes me down onto the animal that hurts more than anything else (laughs) that hurts a lot but at my age I try to do that as little as possible now
0: and it's his instinct when you're messing with them it's instinct is to bite you
1: well it's instinct is to get out of the situation that I rudely put it in yeah you know, I, in this in this whole scenario, but I mean, he'll uh, he'll deliberately jerk.
0: snap at you or no? Yeah. Okay. If you can. Yeah. yeah. Got it. So it's on its I mind to defend itself by snap and not just to get away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and any means necessary to get off of it. I mean, when you have a rope around your neck, you you can't get away. Your last resort is to just not get killed, and that's what probably it thinks is going to happen. Yeah. But, can
3: we get into their immune system a bit because you were telling me how interesting, yeah. how robust the immune system is. I know we don't have too much time yet yeah. left, but The innate was, immune yeah. system. So this mm-hmm.
1: is some really interesting work done. Adam McNeese, a colleague of mine, um, can I say his name? Oh, yeah. Mark Merchant. He's a phenomenal biochemist who studies alligators. And uh, his work has shown that, so he essentially wanted to say how strong is alligator blood at killing stuff and he threw like every kind of fungal pathogen at it a ton of viruses any bacteria like 23 bacteria and it killed them all hmm. their innate immune system is just so robust at killing pathogens
0: home it, it's bl- it, it's blood you're saying that it put Bacteria and viruses in yeah. alligator blood.
1: Yeah, they take blood from the alligator and have, the... like, super controlled assays in which they do this stuff. You put blood in a little plate tube Got in a it. plate and then put other stuff, bad stuff, in there. And you can measure how much of the bad stuff was killed. They also do this, like, zone of inhibition style metric where they they grow a bacteria on a plate. And then they put a drop of alligator blood plasma in the center, and then measure the diameter of bacteria that is no longer on that plate because it was killed.
4: Wow. And, and they
1: are so so fast, good at
0: really? killing stuff. And so fact, people are probably interested in this whole oh, deal from a biomedical.
1: Exactly, yeah. You know, I'll say this now because it's a good segue. Alligators are great model organisms for human health from an immune perspective, from an ecotoxicological perspective, from an endocrine perspective. I mean, they... They should be more highly regarded in that capacity, and are starting to be.
0: What? Um, but but they're 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 not sensitive to ecotoxins.
1: Oh, they are. They are because oh, I know, yeah.
0: like like frogs are horrifically sensitive, right? I mean, it,
1: yeah. I would say so. There's this. There are these things called endocrine disrupting contaminants or uh-huh. endocrine disrupting compounds, and one of the biggest case studies used alligators in Florida out of the Lou Gillette lab and continued Lou Gillette lab lineage. They looked at how, how synthetically produced contaminants in a lake actually bias the sexual differentiation of hatchling alligators and subsequent age classes. So like if you expose an alligator to a compound that mimics estrogen— Mm -hmm. or antagonizes estrogen or antagonizes androgen.
0: So like all like birth control stuff and the water supply and everything. Yeah, Yeah.
1: but those receptors are pretty good. Well, the things we make are really good at binding to those receptors or antagonizing them. Mm -hmm. And the first real case study on environmental estrogens was done in Lake Apopka in central florida. And I mean you talk about peregrine falcons and cormorants and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, the 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 biggest case study that sort of taught the world about the power of endocrine disrupting contaminants was on alligators. Really. And that study system is still producing tons of really interesting information. Tons.
0: Like that stuff is damaging.
1: Oh yeah. So the, in that scenario, most of the toxins, if memory serves, were environmentally estrogenic, probably anti-androgenic. So when when you're exposing mom to these compounds through, but what are these eats, compounds
0: being used by people? You no, know,
1: mostly like organic chlorine pesticide use. Oh, usually, okay. pesticide
0: I, I'm use. sorry, I thought you were saying that. That you know, there's you hear about hormones and drinking water
4: mm.
0: from various from various human treatments, right? Hormones. Get, I thought you meant that that's what's happening.
1: No, no, no. Oh, yeah. So, you. so those so are this really is, good. This the is, same so, thing. So because these
0: biotoxins good. are these biotoxins are influencing the hormones in gators not that we're putting hormones in the water that's affecting gators
1: right they're they're mimicking endogenous hormones hormones that naturally exist within the body or at least binding to their receptors okay and that because these things are have temperature dependent sex determination all that really means is the temperature creates a a genetic cascade that turns on one enzyme or turns on a different enzyme. Mm-hmm. And that's where those enzymes take a maternally supplied hormone pool and say, this is all gonna become estrogen, or this is all gonna become androgen, like like testosterone. Mm-hmm. And when you bias that maternally supplied steroid pool with something that looks like estrogen or looks like an androgen, all of a sudden the signals become a little washy. Yep. And you're able to produce In that case, feminized male alligators or super female alligators in which you see things like like polynuclear oocytes, more than one nuclei per egg, or polyovular follicles, more than one egg per follicle in females, which is an abnormality. Mm -hmm. And then you see feminized male individuals that maybe have, if you take the gonad out and histologically examine it, slice it really, really thin and look at it under a microscope, you'll see seminiferous tubules, which are the portions of the gonad that makes sperm. And then right next to those you may see an egg. Mm. And you're like, what the heck mm. is going on here? Must be an endocrine disrupting contaminant. Mm. Better apply for a grant. <laughs> <laughs> Man.
0: To what degree is that going on? I mean, I guess that's the question. Ultimately, people are going to want to know is to what degree is that going on with humans?
1: Yeah, I mean, I teach an ecotoxicology class at the master's level at Southeastern, and a lot of the literature that we read uh, tends to focus on how potentially volatile these things are, so in the air. Mm -hmm. So polar bears in the North Pole have super high amounts of PCBs, a synthetic mm-hmm. thing, that they would never have otherwise been exposed to yeah. aside mm-hmm. from them being in the air. So, I mean, if we're talking about humans, yeah, we're exposed to a lot of stuff all the time. Um, red meat in farmed steak has dioxins in it to a higher degree than almost anything else that you eat. I'm really throwing throwing stuff under the bus here. But uh, i mean, maybe you go, should. we
3: should drink alligator blood and be perfect. <laughs> yeah, well, that doesn't fight off those EDS. doesn't fight some better just bacteria.
1: Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I, I think that the use of alligators to teach us about how these ecotoxins may or may not be affecting humans is a super viable pathway for research and is and continues to be
0: Man, you got me thinking about that uh that gator blood. <laughs> <laughs> What's the uh what was it that you remember when early in the pandemic? Um
3: Python oil? No,
0: what President Trump mused about has anyone looked into that you would drink? Bleach?
4: No, no. It, was,
0: <laughs> no, and it, it caused like a big. Up, it yeah. caused a big shitstorm in the news that You're you talking about like, the, the horse dewormer. I can't. No, it wasn't. Um, okay. No, no, no. <laughs> what? No, there was like a there was a press conference and someone mentioned that there was some impact of something and there was like a wondering if if like somehow there was a way to sort of me- metabolize the substance. Either way, it's got me wondering about. Uh, you know, you could see a sci-fi movie, right? Where. People were wanting to consume gator blood. Well, there's soul, a lot like, of... I mean, they're resistance. harvesting... They're, uh, they're
5: harvesting hide and meat. They could start like a whole supplement thing with the blood.
0: You know, one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> um, one of my favorite actors. Worst movies. Was called The Hunter. Not Dare Willem Sue... Willem Dafoe. Yeah, not yeah, Dare Sue a, Uzzala, One of the greatest movies ever made.
5: Last, uh... He was for the The last. biomedical...
0: The biomedical evil people wanted their hands on the last Thera. What's the, what's a, uh, a Tasmanian tiger is a Theracine. Mm -hmm. They got some name. It's a Lazarus species where people are always like, did it saw one, but maybe it didn't actually go extinct. The evil like if there's a movie and there's biomedical people in it, those people will be bad. Oh, for sure. I can promise you. Generally the hunters are bad too. Yep, and the oil, big oil. <laughs> Disney movies when they got to set up a conflict, it's the oil people. <laughs> But uh, biomed, you're gonna be bad. Never be cast in a movie if you're a biomed person. They want the last therus. Is it a therusine?
2: Uh, how could you, yeah, it's you get Tasman-
0: It's not a Tasmanian. It's not a
5: Tasmanian devil. It's something bigger than
0: Tasmanian that. tiger. Yeah, something. It was
5: a like tiger. Bring that back Or Tasmanian way. wolf,
0: maybe. Willem Dafoe. They catch word that there's one left, and Willem Dafoe is like a hunter slash mercenary. And, he's, and he gets and he takes off with some, he has a magical backpack. He heads into the Tasmanian outback with a little backpack, but keeps producing amazing things from this little backpack.
5: There's like an also Thylacine. A, yeah. a, Thylacine. a like side love story going oh, on. Oh, of course,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, It's a good movie. He's got a little pack, but also he's got like a shitload of giant traps and a and big ass know, gun. He needs to go kill this Theracine for the evil biomed people. This evil Tasmanian tiger, which is a mar- is a cool animal, is a marsupial, like a like a marsupial predator, and uh, in the end he gets kind of burned out on the evil biomedical people. Shoots it anyway, which really surprised me. Shoots it anyway mm-hmm. and then burns it up. He's like, in the end, it's kind of like, well, by God, no one's gonna have it. Right.
5: It's a weird way to to handle it, but
0: yeah, shoots the last one and burns it up, being like, I don't. They're not going to have it. No one's going to have it. Damn it. Mm-hmm. What was I talking about this far?
2: Yeah, I'm trying to think oh, how you're going to read
0: I know. Alligator the blood. They alligators. wanted that thing's blood to cure sicknesses <laughs> or to right. make sicknesses. They're going to do something with it. So now, you know, I'm picturing like this alligator blood having some kind of that's I mean, that ultimately has to be the the idea with that like that would be where your big time funding comes right. from. Oh, Is yeah. that if they have this ability to fight off all these infections, then um, that would be of biomedical interest. And Absolutely. I imagine if they have this demonstrable – if if synthetic substances in the environment in the form of pollution have this demonstrable effect on their hormone development and reproduction – That probably becomes of great interest to medical researchers.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I would, I would, as a disclaimer, say, do not go try to get alligator (laughs) blood uh, for any purpose ever. (laughs) Thank you. What's Uh, the uh... but? But yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Mm. and I think there's a lot of work that are that's beginning to use alligators as model organisms for human health. What's that's a great thing.
5: What's the state of the gator? In the US. How like, are they? Yeah. They're doing great. I'll handle that one. Yeah. Okay.
0: Shitloads. <laughs> yeah. Is there <laughs> any, like, so
5: there's no places where we're, there's like, man, things aren't going well here. They're like generally doing very well.
1: Yeah. I mean, throughout the range, since they're, since they need to be a sustainable resource, they're quite readily managed in the states that they're abundant. You know, Louisiana, Florida, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, South Carolina has a great program. There are people that manage these things just like any other harvestable resource.
0: And when you see a gator hunter, you're not like you hellbilly rednecks. You're like, uh, no. I'm, how's it going, guys? You been seeing any?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not. It's, it's the, it's the regulations and the promotion of them being used as a sustainable resource that ultimately brought them back from extinction. Yep. So, if it's managed well and effectively, and seems to be very well throughout the Southeast U.S., then then that's fine. Have fun. I know Stay within the laws.
0: You don't wear gator skin boots.
1: I don't. You I don't. don't
0: have big gator teeth necklaces. I
1: don't. I'm a biologist. I'm a <laughs> you nerd. guys, are, you guys can't do that. I'm a nerd. Man. You can't. Just...
0: But you can't become like a guy with a gator hat and gator I, boots. I and...
5: could. Do you got a gator <laughs> skull on your desk at work?
1: No, they're in the lab. Huh. All for teaching.
5: I want one of the skulls bad.
0: How many gators okay. have you handled? <laughs> oh, can you send us a big, huge gator skull? I mean, a big yeah. one.
1: <laughs> Maybe. There's some laws that require uh, the transport of alligator materials across state lines. They're a CITES animal? CITES animal, yeah, for uh, sure. Oh,
3: they are. So, so, but they just need to be, because we're hunting, some of us meteor folks are hunting in September. So, but you are allowed to going transport to the gator, them, but... You need to they fill out all the proper paperwork and, and, and all
1: and be of that. Approved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but uh, won't you just ask the question? Somebody just asked a question. to well, well,
0: Send me a big old huge game? Yeah, we yeah. can try. We, oh, we can how try many gators on. have you? Had? This is my last oh, question. How many gators? How many have gators I have you touched? Mm. Wild gators.
1: Wild alligators,
0: crocodilians, or whatever you know.
1: Oh, in total. In total. Well, we've caught fifteen hundred American crocodiles in Guanacaste that are marked. So probably add five hundred or so onto that that aren't marked. And for alligators, I would say maybe three or four thousand. Damn, I don't know a lot. It is my job. Are those
5: are those crocs <laughs> in in uh, Costa Rica protected? Are they a species that are
1: used? No, they're not. To... They're not harvested, okay. and that's a sort of a a different great story in the sense that they're they're used profitably for ecotourism. Mm. So the management of those populations is also. A renewable resource, but in a different different sort of vein.
4: Mm-hmm. I don't
0: got
2: any more questions. Okay. Is there anything we missed that you're like, Wow, no, this was really fun. These, these guys really need to know about this, about crocs. I want to return to my uh, first question. Okay. Gators.
3: Oh, heart chamber.
2: Oh, what's that?
3: Like why they can stand. Yeah, well,
2: love. yeah, th- and that it was right in the same uh paragraph as uh, talking about how long they can hold their breath, which I think everybody oh, I know, everybody, everybody at home is too. dying to know that. How long yeah. can they
0: hold their breath? He's going to give us some wishy-washy science. Seven answer. hours. Oh no, he did. Hmm. Good job. Uh, I think
1: that's an empirically. He's going to be like,
0: "Well, it depends on the gator." <laughs> well, that's all
1: true. That's all true, but no one wants to hear that. They want to hear a number. How long? Seven hours, I think, has been recorded in the past. Yeah, but they do that by. By circulating blood through the systemic circuit and bypassing the lungs. They don't actually have a fifth chamber, but they have a foramen of Um. paniza, it's called, which bypasses the lungs so they can recirculate blood throughout the body, maximizing the exchange of oxygen to cells. I want one of those. Yeah. Seven hours. I think that's a number that has been recorded. But if I were to give you a real answer, you could is, do some real spearfish spear spear Oh the spearfish
5: implications! <laughs> you, you just like, go down an ambush hunt.
0: I don't know, layer seven hours. something. something cool is going to come. Set fire. up a blind <laughs> down
4: there.
3: Somebody needs to like try to create like an external pack of that. That like you, you know, it's instead of an oxygen. T- no, instead oh. of that. <laughs> <laughs> instead of that, this would be cool.
0: It doesn't bubble. Yeah. Um. So so they got that. Seven hours underwater. Oh, here's my last question. This is, I'm going back to my first question. You know those little stock tanks I was talking about? They have him living in it. Yeah. Let's say the the rainy season never came. Mm-hmm. Okay. The water never came. He could feasibly live in that little hole the size of his studio. How long?
1: Long time. Years. Okay. Years, I think. As so he's is- not
0: like, holy cow, it's getting close. If the if the water doesn't rise, I'm doomed. Like he could he could survive a dry season.
1: I think that if a prey item, and in that scenario, it's likely to happen, waterfowl or some animal that needs water approaches that watering hole, and they're successfully eating every six months, something kind of big, then they can probably live for years in there. Really? I mean, metabolically, they're just so efficient. Let, let, but
5: let's say that thing—that
2: let's say his little hole dries up.
1: Then you I done. think that Steve's question is that,
2: but the, <clears throat> the he only needs the water because it attracts prey. Or does the oh, does the gator wet. does the gator need water to survive?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We like to think that all crocodilians need water to survive, but during the dry season in Costa Rica, you see him walking in the woods. Well, that's, that's mean, what I was going to ask. Like, like how like way far away from any water? Like, like how many miles? There? Like, like they, we've up, seen him like five kilometers from the nearest water body, or more. But what, presumably what they but presumably he's <laughs> heading out looking for a new water hole.
3: It's like that lost the, penguin.
1: The, the problem, well, called. I don't know, like intuitively going up a limestone mountain escarpment would not be where you'd go to find water. Got it. But yet sometimes you see them up there in the middle of dense he, forest. If he's up there, would
0: he eat something if it came in front of him?
1: He tried to eat me. Oh, really? Well, I, I'm i the jerk again. I caught him. And so we had a aggressive interaction. <laughs> But... Uh, caught him up in the woods. Caught him up in the woods. We were driving back from sampling to where we stay, a station, a little biological station. And on the road, we saw nine-footer. <laughs> really? Yeah. We got out of the car, chased him into the woods, caught him, got our sample. I mean, those those are the animals that you really want to put, like, a... Tracking. A sat tracker on.
0: To find out what he's up to.
1: What are they up to in the woods up there? I mean, it's crazy. But, yeah... I. If the water hole dries up, I give him less of a chance. But again, you see alligators but walking on he's land gonna, all
4: over the
0: place.
5: He'll it,
1: walk to go he'll, find he'll something dry up. Yeah, his
0: hole would dry up and he would eventually light out. Yeah. Yeah. He's grow. not just gonna be like, Oh, I guess I'm right. doomed.
1: Um, unlike that one I saw on the bank. He just goes up there and yeah. sits down he and, would, and he dies. would strike
0: out looking for water. Yeah, they'll walk around. And the I think they be
2: walk around
1: enough. on land so much more than we give him any Got credit it. for.
2: Got it. All right. For real, my last final one. It is John. If I'm down in Florida with my kids and, you know, there's a pond nearby, there's eight footer, sun in itself. Wh- what's the best way to approach it? How close can you get and be safe? Check it out. You know, let your kids get a good. Uh, Do you love it? You know, worry it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but but be safe.
1: Well, the, the safe answer there is a pair of binoculars. Mm hmm. That's not the answer you're looking for. No, 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 no. 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 We're looking for the real. You want to get close. See, now I'm liable here. (laughs) Uh, I would say that if you stay outside of 50 feet of that thing, now assuming that there's not a nest around, because Mm. nesting females that are attentive will not want you there. Because they have that variable, varying personality. Far out of their way to make sure you don't go near that nest. So, I mean, I would stay as far away as feasibly possible. And don't uh, mess. If around I were you, at the water's edge, I would right? use binoculars and don't mess around at the water's edge. Yeah,
0: okay. Stay well, well, that would have away away you humongous. Can. That would have meant that my childhood hadn't happened. <laughs> Take the water's edge away. <laughs> it was spent at the water's edge. That's yeah. all we ever did. <clears throat> yeah. Get I, on, go down by the lake. See what's going on down there.
1: <laughs> go
2: wrestle a game. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, even just. Oh, no, am serious. We, what a
0: huge impact yeah. on
2: life. Yeah, we stayed at that house down there and we were. What was that river that was flowing by us that we went fishing at? Anyways, there was a dock and a some kind of a waterway. And, oh, yeah, yeah, the Cassim. You know, it, it was nice enough where you think, gosh, we could just go yeah. for a swim, but you can't go for a swim.
1: You can, but you assume a large risk in doing so, right?
2: I mean... Nobody in their right mind is going to let their kids go jumping off the dock. I'm not going to
1: let my kids go jumping off that dock. Yeah. And when I say 50 feet, I would say 50 (laughs) feet with a fence between you and the animal. Mm.
2: Okay, so follow-up question. How fast can that eight-footer move on dry ground?
1: Covered at 50 feet. Mm. They can move surprisingly fast if they want you away. Uh, I mean, if you approach an alligator on, on... Not me. No, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you guys can run away, um, but if you're approaching that thing, it, it has explosive energy, mm-hmm. and it can move pretty short distances way faster than people give it credit for. Just stay away from it. Go to a zoo.
0: Well, what do you do at the zoo?
1: Look at it. Bet- oh, if you
0: want to get up close. With look. a
1: glass pane <laughs> yeah, between you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All
0: right. This so you probably great. don't want people tracking you down. Do you want mm. people to get a hold of you and say, like, here's where you're wrong? Here's
3: no, they can right. email us.
0: I mean, and I'm then sure I'll they'll, chat they'll with Chris. email
1: you. Yeah. I'll be happy to take follow up stuff via email. And, I mean, a lot of this stuff we're talking about is so interesting, but there's not a lot of empirical data published on some of this stuff, you know? So, yep. so it's all out for exploration, a lot of it. And hence, I have a job.
2: Well, like, if someone wanted to read some of your research, where would they go do that and find it?
1: Uh, Oh, they can go to my website. They can go to ResearchGate, which is sort of a nerd repository for all things that you publish. Google Scholar is a phenomenal resource that the public usually doesn't know about, but they can search peer-reviewed literature using Google Scholar and help bridge the gap between science and the public. Wonderful resource there. (laughs)
0: Crocod- <laughs> crocodilian biologist Chris Murray of Southeastern Louisiana University. You can send all of your anecdotal contradictions to what he said today. We've got a new
3: email address. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the Meat Eater Podcast at TheMeatEater.com. Is
0: that is that live now so we got our own email? hmm Oh my god. Okay, so when something crazy happens Incredible. and you find a human skull in the woods. Call, email us, then call nine one one.
3: Right, exactly. <laughs> we want we want all your
2: breaking news, all we want, the weird stuff. Yep. The Meat Eater Podcast at, at the, the God, Who came up with that? Tired me, that and that <laughs> me and Crin texted
0: about it yesterday. If you really need to know, um, <laughs> <laughs> it w- could have been podcast, but I was no, like, we have
3: hey, that, but it's so. But no, I don't know. We want our own, we need
0: our own for yeah. our own hot tips. Hot and then and then but don't when you want to have when you want to co- have anecdotal evidence that contradicts what you heard today from Chris Murray send it to Southeastern Louisiana University <laughs> Say,
4: shit, (laughs) I killed one that was 80 easy. (laughs) You can still send that to us.
3: (laughs) I'll filter it, Chris, don't you you, worry. Anything that would
0: begin with, shit, send it to us.
5: (laughs) And Steve, how do you feel
0: about a biologist coming in here and giving relatively direct answers and not trying to... He did good. He got. He did that little wishy-washy deal they do. (laughs) I can't remember what he was doing it about. Oh, how fast they grow. Little wishy washy.
5: There's some very But he brought it man. home. He brought it home. He brought it home. He gave, he
0: wound up coming down with an answer. Variations but it wasn't it beauty. wasn't all like it depends. What about this? Depends. And this depends. It oh, does did. depend. But nobody wants to hear that on here, so what I like asking scientists is when they're doing research so I like asking what them what, what do they hope happens. <laughs> Smoke comes out of their ears. <laughs> what do you hope happens? <laughs> well, that's the whole point. I can't hope because i got to be unbiased. I'm like, but I know you hope something <laughs> happens. I know you hope it's interesting. Yeah, like when you put a collar on a lynx, I'd be like, be like, well, what do you hope happens? And they're supposed to publicly, they'd be like, well, we just want to gather the data. I'd put it on it and be like, I hope this thing turns up in some crazy ass place. <laughs> but I would never be able to say it. I'd say I just want to have an accurate representation. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, wouldn't it be sweet if some guy in Iowa found this link? You know, they're hoping. They're hoping it happens. All right. Thank you, everybody.
3: Thanks, Chris.
1: Thank you. Oh.
6: Done, beat this damn horse to death. So take your new one and ride on. We're done, beat this damn horse to death. So take your new one and ride on.
0: Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product SportDog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that SportDog collar in different temperatures. It just doesn't stop working. Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com meat eater to learn more.